Hi, this is Kylo Ren. This special Star Wars The Force Awakens episode of Hitting Play contains spoilers and major plot points. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, stop this episode, watch the movie, and finish what you started. Enjoy the show. Sir? Sir? What? What? I'm doing this podcast thing. The girl has escaped. There's no sign of her anywhere. Seriously? Are you crying, sir? No. Welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me is our resident Star Wars expert, a guy who will podcast for a quarter portion. Paul, welcome back. Hey, Scott. Great to be back. Good to have you. And also joining us is a guy who could use some starkiller base weather from the great city of Melbourne, Australia. Hamish, welcome back to the show. Hey, how you going? Doing good, doing good. This is great. Well, this week we watched a little film that's gaining some attention. The story of a guy who quits his job and an antique collector who decide to help a lady find her deadbeat brother. All while the boy who really loves his grandpa shows up at the most inopportune times. A little indie film called Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. So I think we should first off talk about what our, our movie-going experiences were like. The, the three of us are in uh, three different parts of the world, so... Uh, uh, we all had individual experiences. So, so what was it like uh, going? When did you go? Paul, we'll start with you. Okay. Well, uh, I had ordered most of my tickets as soon as they went on sale uh, on Monday night after the trailer. Um, I had a group of 20. We got to the theater at about quarter after 6. Our movie time was 7.30. This was Thursday, mm-hmm. the 17th. There weren't a lot of fans dressed up, surprisingly. One in our group was, and then my wife had crocheted a Yoda hat for herself and Ewok hats for a couple other friends. <laughs> but uh, they actually let us in early, about 6.30, they let us go to the, the room, and the dinosaur Pixar movie was still playing in 3D. Oh, wow. And so I don't know if no one was in it, or they just <laughs> figured... Uh, we'll just refund the two people that were watching it or whatever. So we were in there, and then after about five minutes, they shut it off and turned the lights back on. And, uh, yeah, we just sat around for an hour and waited for it to get going. So that's pretty much my experience. I was a little disappointed because during the trailers, I noticed the volume wasn't very loud. And then uh, I was at a Regal Theater, so they have that intro with the roller coaster. Okay, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. And um, during that, there was no music, and the sound effects when, like, the popcorn kernels would pop and stuff was weird, too. So I got a bad feeling about, like, the sound system <laughs> being messed up. <laughs> I, I have to see it again to know, but I'm pretty sure it slightly was, because the music was not as powerful as I think it should have been. And the sound effects could have been louder, too. Huh. But, uh, so, yeah, that kind of took me out of it right away. Now, was this, this was in Williamsport? Yeah. Williamsport, Pennsylvania? Uh, well, yeah, Pennsdale, the Lycoming, uh, Great Escape, 12, Regal Cinema. Huh. The first showtime was 7 o'clock. That was a 3D, but all my friends agreed that they wanted 2D, so we did 7.30. That was the earlier showing, the 2D one? 3D was 
7, ours was 7.30. Oh, okay. When I got there at quarter after 6, the line for the first show was out the doors, but our line was just halfway down the lobby. Oh, that's good. And not every seat was filled in our room. So uh, I was also surprised. I, I thought the Star Trek trailer was going to be released. I mean, I did see it on YouTube a couple days before, mm-hmm. but we didn't have it. We had uh, Captain America Civil War. We had that Zootopia. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that was like a, a very big crowd pleaser. Everyone was cracking up over that one. The same in my theater. Yeah, I had the same yeah. trailers as you, and yeah, people were cracking up. But there was no X-Men. There was no Star Trek. And there was no Independence Day, which surprised me. Um, we had Captain America, and we had Batman versus Superman, and oh. a couple others. Didn't have that one. Yeah, not too many trailers, surprisingly. Uh, I timed it at a half hour when I went to, I think, Jurassic World. Yeah, the movie got started, and my wife kept looking at me for my reaction, and I was, like I said, just kind of taken out of it because I was so focused on the sound and worrying that that was not up to par, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Oh, that's too bad. But uh, hey, I'll be going a few more times. So. <laughs> that's that's one good thing. I'm sure uh, I'll experience everything I need to when I see it in IMAX. Yeah. Now, Hamish, how about you? Well, basically, we uh, at my workplace, we had organized to see a Star Wars film uh, a couple of months ahead because we wanted to have a Christmas party and what we decided was, oh, we'll have a, a private screening function because they can do these uh, private screenings that you have for functions, uh, parties, and things like that here in Australia at you know certain cinemas. So we mm-hmm. planned ahead to go. All right, we'll have uh, after, I think a couple of days after the movie comes out uh, on a Saturday, we'll have our end of year Christmas function and go see the movie. Uh, but before that, uh, a couple of my workmates were on Facebook and they said, oh, we're going to go and see the film. Because like their mate had tickets to it, and they went and saw a midnight showing. So they come back next day, and I'm at work with them, and they're like, "Oh my god, the movie is so amazing, Hamish! You, <laughs> you, I, I don't know how to explain it to you, Hamish. It's..." And I was like, "Shut up! Just shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Why don't you shut up?" <laughs> and so like, yeah, they want to talk about it, and they seem pretty, you know, glowingly humble about, mm, "It's amazing! It's a fantastic yeah, film! Yeah. I'm so happy about it." And I'm like, "Yep, shut up." So. I, I'm I'm still online trying to avoid spoilers, trying to avoid everything, trying to avoid anybody saying anything. But I know that the internet's a fickle place. I know that over time, I mean, what was it? This is it's only been a couple of days or so after the movies come out now, and yeah, you know, the internet's already leaking bits and pieces, of information, little tidbits, tasty little morsels. After they had saw it the on you know the midnight showing, I'm at work and I, after I've been you know getting very excited about this i'm going okay i can't take this i i have to forget about it i'll just wait until saturday and i'll just calm down i'll be fine so uh uh, i go i'm going i left work and i go home and i'm at the shops and i'm doing uh yeah just shopping but i'm looking at my watch and it's like it's 8 30 yeah it'd be fine everything's good but then i get that thought in my head it's like i wonder if there's a showing you know pretty close by or you know near to this time so i go online i check the as a village cinemas app and I see that oh there's a show at nine o'clock nearby and there's seats still available in a pretty <laughs> pretty good, you know, nice nice cinema. It's you know not too many people. I will buy a ticket online and I'll race all the way over there. <laughs> Which is basically what happened. <laughs> I kind of got halfway through the shopping was like, uh, I'm gonna put some of the stuff back, but then just grab the stuff I need to eat in the cinema. 
you know, my my priorities changed. So instead, I grabbed a drink and some peanuts, and I you know, bought them and went off uh, up to the cinema. And it's up. Uh, it was it was at a uh, one of the was it Westfield Shopping Town uh, places. Uh, and so yeah, you know, the thing is, it's Christmas. It's busy. The parking lot's packed, and my brain is already calculating time and how fast I can get there. So <laughs> my brain's like, all right, there's got to be half an hour of uh, commercials and little ads before the movie. I gotta get parking. If I do this, and I can do this, and so I get there, and obviously it's packed. There's like you know cars everywhere, and so I'm sneaking around, driving around, looking for a spot. I find a spot, and I quickly get in there, you know, nail the parking spot. And like you know, there are people doing that whole searching for a spot, like you know, some sort of probe droid. And I quickly <laughs> you know go in to get the spot. I'm like, all right, I'm done. Now I look at my watch. All right, I gotta get to the other side of this mall and get to there. So I start running. You know, past Christmas shoppers, it's packed. So I'm like weaving in and out of people, kind of going, yeah, fine. Like, I'm not trying to make it look like I'm running, but fast enough to get me some speed and cut through people <laughs> as I slide through people and not knock over children, because apparently that's bad. But, yeah, you yeah. know, sliding through children, <laughs> passing them and people with Christmas gifts. And strange enough, there's more uh, trolleys and baby strollers that day. That don't know why. So, you know, I'm looking at my watch going, oh, it's getting close. It's getting close to the time. I'm weaving through, getting through people. I get to the cinema, and you know, when I get close to the cinema, I start running. So I run through the cinema, going to my spot, make sure I had the ticket because I'm using my phone, using the online system, showing the ticket. Quickly get in, there, get into my seat, and you know, the ads hadn't begun yet. And I look at my watch, and I realize I had made it, the entire cinema run in less than 12 minutes. I thought you were going to say parsecs. <laughs> I know. That's what you wanted me to say, but I wasn't going to say it. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, I, I got into the cinema, and again, it looked like the, you know, beyond the Christmas carnage that's around you. Uh, yeah, the the cinema was not empty, but it was like in that sweet spot where, like, uh, there were people coming out of cinemas, you know, groups and groups of people coming out of cinemas, but also um, this is a little bit maybe too later in the day for them as well. Because, you know, if, you also have to get kids to sleep and stuff like that. So yeah. there's a certain flavor of crowd, you know, like couples and things like that. Uh, so I, I went there basically by myself, which is fine. I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm sad or anything like that, but <laughs> I, I think more or less because my my uh, powerful nerd side took hold and said, you have to see this film. You will get spoiled if you do not. Uh, but no, I got there and it was a good kind of crowd of people because, again, it's like couples and people who are, you know, uh, I guess avoiding the heat because it was getting quite hot, uh, even for night. But yeah, where the the movie didn't have too many, you know, trailers at the beginning of it. We had like a I think the Batman trailer, Batman Superman trailer, which was cut down from the one that we saw online. Mm-hmm. Um, and what else was there? The animated Pixar Zoo one. We didn't have yep. that. Uh, I'm trying to remember what else was there, but oh no, I just remembered one of them was the Jungle Book. That was it. Oh no, I didn't get that one. Yeah, we, we're getting different ones. Strangely enough, I think it depends on which franchise you go to. But um, uh, no, they, it was. Because uh, I was like uh, for row C, so a couple from the front, but the cinema was a smaller cinema. Because this is a multiplex, and like there's the extreme screen, and then there's like the smaller ones as well. So this one was mm-hmm. like a, me- a medium-sized one, right? Uh, so I was close enough to the screen, but not too far away. And yeah, it th- the room was filled, again, with a mixture of people. Like people avoiding heat, people who are couples, and people who are like... You know, pretty excited to see the movie. Maybe they're seeing it again. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it had a good atmosphere because especially when, you know, you're sitting there and, you know, it's getting closer to the film and the you know, lights go down, everything goes black and then there's the Star Wars logo, uh, which kind of just explodes on screen. <laughs> I mean, after the Lucas 
a logo, it just kind of explodes. And Paul, I got to say, the sound in my one was actually really loud. <laughs> yeah, like I said, Hamish, uh, I'm pretty sure that there was a problem because I read people's reviews. They said the music was epic. I talked to my friend Steve. He said the music was really loud and good, and I barely recognized it, or you know, I had to strain to hear anything. So mm-hmm. I'll uh, have to experience that my next time around. Oh, you, you'll have your chance. I mean, I think it's going to be playing for a long, long time. But yeah, the, oh, yes. the sound came on striking. Like, you kind of got shocked when it popped up. I mean, even though it's like a familiar film, it's like, oh, God. Yeah, um, it hits you. Yeah, it hits you. But also, there's that kind of weird wave of like, as soon as you see the opening crawl, it's like, this is a different film, but it feels very familiar. And and yeah. straight off the bat, as soon as the movie started, you kind of fell into those kind of same sort of beats. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, the crowd... Uh, were very lively and got, you know, when the story changed and there was the ups and the downs and, you know, you had reveals. Yeah, people reacted and it, it was good to have that, you know, just to feel what it's like. Because the next time I saw it, because I've you know, now seen it twice, uh, was the work function, which a couple of days ago, uh, which, yeah, it's because it's a different crowd. It's a group of people I know. And plus it was a private screening, so it was just basically us in a, a small cinema with food and drink and stuff like that. Uh, That's so, great. Yeah, it was really nice. I mean, I'm glad the company you know, paid for that. Uh, because, yeah, you get to sit around and relax in reclining chairs and things like that in this little luxurious cinema. And so, yeah, it was a dimis- different atmosphere uh, because everyone there was a mixture of fans and mixture of people. You know, they're your workmates. You don't want to show any kind of emotion in front of your workmates. <laughs> you know, you can't look weak, especially when your right, boss right. is there. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of a mixture of that kind of new flavor of people and you know you know getting a different reaction from seeing it the first time than seeing it with um, some mates and especially the my uh, plus one who i took with me uh she hadn't seen she wasn't too familiar with the last ones like she saw it but she wasn't too familiar uh so i kind of didn't spoil anything and he said don't worry about having not having to see the other ones i mean one of our workmates came in late to the work function not to the cinema but basically at the beginning work function where you have food and you catch up uh mm-hmm. he, he turned up late because he said oh sorry guys <sighs> oh, I had to. I was up all night. I, I did a marathon of the last of the of the other three movies. You know, just just to get be prepared for this this <laughs> this movie. And like, you know, it's like I just I, I instantly got on a tram after the movie finished. And I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm late. I'm I'm here now, which is strange. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people are going to see this film, like seeing the original films before seeing the new film, thinking that it's like the last time they have to do the exam. Like, you know, we have to study before the exam happens. Which, right, is, right. which is strange, and you've had so many years. I mean, I don't want to sound like a teacher who's angry at people, but it's like, you've had so many years to look at this these films and then just absorb it. And usually it's in the normal mindset of people, uh, and yet they feel like, oh, I have to watch the other films before this film because, yeah, it has to make sense. It's like, it's it's not the case. It's, it's like <laughs> watching a Fast and Furious movie. You don't need to watch the other Fast and Furious to make sense of these ones. It doesn't right, right. matter. It's an adventure. It's fun. It's accessible. And it's like that weird kind of... You didn't make logical idea in your brain where it's like, this is a new generation of Star Wars. It's a continuation. Sure. But they're not going to make something which is alienating everybody. Only for like, you know... It's only for the fans. We're making this movie for the fans. Well, yeah. you know, half it, yes. But also half the half. Disney want to make money. So there's no point in going, oh, we should make something which is unfamiliar. It's it's interesting, but like yeah, there's I've had a lot of people getting <laughs> getting in the last second to go. Oh, we have to watch a marathon of movies before we see <laughs> the movies. 
It's like, no, just go and enjoy the movie. Go and see it. Go and have fun. But yeah, that's my experience was, yeah, seeing it by myself and then seeing it with uh, my co-workers. Uh, and yeah, it, it both times, um, seeing it twice, picking up new bits of information, it was it was a different experience. But yeah, it was still an enjoyable experience. I mean, I've been reading about other people having some issues here and there, which we should lead to Scott talking about well, his experience. <laughs> I had some issues at my showing up. Uh, our previous episode of the podcast, which was like a little bonus episode, Sean and I recorded ourselves on the way to and from the theater. So we, we talked a little bit about it there. But, uh, yeah, when we got in there, we went on a Friday night at 9 o'clock at a little theater in Sandwich, Massachusetts. So it's kind of in the back of a shopping park, almost. Mm -hmm. Very few people go there. So our showing was half full. Uh, There was a lot of kids there, obviously, being a Friday night. And uh, once that opening crawl came out, everybody started taking out their cell phones. What? snapping pictures, yes. What? <laughs> all these kids in front of us, they're all taking out their cell phones, all snapping pictures, with the flashes on. Oh, f- idiots. <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear the, the, the window slide open from the projectionist booth, and all of a sudden we hear, Hey! You better put those phones away, or I'm gonna clear out this theater! I could lose my license for this! You put those phones away right now! <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and everyone's just like, chill. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, that fixes it. That fixes any kind of <laughs> illegal activity that you're doing. Yeah. Oh, I'm just, uh, I'm not I... just, I'm just t- taking photos or filming parts of a film, which is, you know, being widely distributed. Yeah, just saying chill to the operator. That fixes everything. And, and what I should say is, while this is going on, the crawl is paused. <laughs> so they're taking the pictures, the crawl pauses. Oh, God. And the guy yells at us. I'm going to clear out this theater. If you don't put those cell phones away, I could lose my license for this. And, uh, yeah, so that that was quite an interesting experience. But we got to read the crawl quite clearly. So, okay. you know, we, we didn't miss anything. Mm. That was uh, quite the experience. And, and then even a, a couple minutes later, somebody kind of off to the side took out their cell phone because you could see that, that glow. Mm. I don't think they were taking pictures. I think they were just, you know, obviously kids can't put down their phone. Mm. Uh, and just the, the usher ran up there, Hey, put that phone away. Like they were really being rough with these, <laughs> with these kids, which was good. It was pretty annoying, but, mm. uh, uh, yeah, Sean and I almost got kicked out of the theater. Oh man. That's, yeah, it, that's actually one of the things, uh, that I find kind of weird for this movie. I mean, like, um, there's a lot of people who want to spoil it and it's strange that this has been peak spoiler season for that. Uh, but that that particular film, I mean, there's been other films that have come out, but like for this film, it's like the lockdown of spoilers has been huge. I mean, everyone's like going, don't spoil it, don't spoil it, I'll kill you if you spoil it. And I've been reading about how it's like a guy got beaten up for spoiling it. Like you're standing out front of the cinema, just yelling out the spoilers, going, Han Solo dies. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it seems to be like, it's interesting to compare the two different time periods, especially from, even in the last Star Wars that came out, you know, Revenge of the Sith, uh, compared to now, it's like spoilers and the social media is really. I don't know it's it, it's it's one of those things like you want to avoid spoilers, but you know that the internet's a very evil place sometimes, and mm-hmm. that you know people can say spoiler warning or spoiler alert. Yet if you read a Facebook comment and someone's like blah 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 this happens, you're like oh I didn't mean to read that. Right. You know it, it's 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 permeating through everything, and this has been one of the biggest kind of spoiler. I don't know what you call it, like spoiler seasons. 
I want to call it. Uh, sure. To try and avoid it because it's like even now, even though it's been like again a couple of days or so from the film, uh, not even an entire week, uh, bits and pieces are permeating through the news media of stars who appeared in the film, and you know Simon Pegg's in this part, and Ewan McGregor does a voiceover in one part, which is all true. And, you know, that's the thing. It's like, as soon as you get those little bits and pieces, you start kind of going, uh, I should see this film. I got to see it now. I got I to see it quickly. Which is one of the things that kind of made me want to see it really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, yeah, I did want to get spoiled. I wanted to keep going there fresh as possible. Even though I, I was one of those people who was sitting there late at night watching the trailer and getting hyped about it and then, like, speculating and, you know, uh, ruminating over certain ideas and what could happen. But, um, but what, we, what we have to say is that for marketing for this film and the way to piece those trailers together... Fantastic work. Nothing was spoiled. I mean, no matter what we saw in those trailers and what we can assume from those trailers, uh, was completely different to what we actually got. Yeah. Like when you watch other trailers, I think uh, what was that new like Independence Day? The new second Independence Day trailer came out. Sure, we know aliens are going to turn up, and we don't know what, why, and what reason. But yeah, you can see there's action sequences, and then there's all this other stuff that happens. Or um, like in I guess. Jurassic World, you watch the trailer, it's like, oh, then this happens, then this happens, and you kind of watch the film, kind of marking off the beats, going, oh, I saw that in the trailer, I saw that in the trailer, I saw that in the trailer. And, and for this, it's like they kept a lot of things on lockdown and did a mm-hmm. great job, uh, especially not spoiling the story and also giving us a misdirect a MacGuffin, which wasn't, it wasn't like, a, it didn't destroy the story, it didn't make it weaker, but it kind of gives you an idea of that the story, and especially the mythology of what this universe is, is still accessible to everybody. It's not one of these mm-hmm. things where it's like, you have to be a Jedi to do this. You have to be a Jedi to wield a lightsaber. It's like, not anymore. You just have to, I guess, was it? Just have faith in people and have, you know, know the knowledge that there's good in people. And, that, and know, a thumb. And a thumb. Having a thumb is pretty good. <laughs> But protecting people and things like that, yeah, especially the whole thing with Finn, because like it seems like even in um, interviews with him, they talk about, oh, what was like the li- weird lightsaber? And the entire media, the people who haven't seen the movie or have seen the movie or seen the trailers and things like that, or gone one of those um, media informational packets, yeah, it always seems to be directing questions to John Boyega, talking about, oh, what's it like to have the lightsaber? And he plays into it. Like, he doesn't say anything about, you know, oh, my co-star is actually the one who gets to play with the lightsaber. Nothing, I didn't know anything about that part. It just seems to be like, you know, she's in the film as well, and he wields a lightsaber. We don't know why. Is he a Jedi? Is he just a guy who found it? But the thing about it was, he keeps playing into it. Like, there's a video of him on, was it the Graham Norton show? With a lightsaber going to fight uh, David Beckham. And, you know, <laughs> he, he, he plays into it going like, you know, Beckham, you've met your match. You know, holding up the lightsaber, then cuts a... Cuts out of him and goes, no, it's just really nice to meet you. You're a great guy. But that's the thing. Like, he, he just, he's been playing into it, and he's been the main focus, which has been just a smart move because he's just eating it up and letting people enjoy the fact that, oh, yeah, in the posters, it's him holding a lightsaber and him doing all this stuff. Well, it's a massive, it's a huge misdirect. It's so good. Expertly done. Yeah, because they're not spoiling it. They're not trying to kind of say, you know, in the same, I guess, J.J. Abrams' last work with... Uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, where it's like, oh, is Ben Akamach playing Khan? It's like, no, he's not playing that character, Khan. He's a different guy. And then, you know, you watch the movie, it's like, oh, he was playing Khan. Yeah. All right, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this has been handled really well, especially in the trailers and the, the promotional stuff and the lead-up. Yeah, nothing's, nothing's been spoiled. Even in the toy, the first run of figures as well. You know, you don't have a Ray figure with a lightsaber. You know, it's just 
Well, there was a Ray figure with a lightsaber, and the art showed her holding a lightsaber, and I'm glad I didn't see that. Yeah, but is this has that been released? I don't know, but I saw it online. Uh, some art had been leaked out. Yeah, because I uh, what I know is from um, the the first run of figures. Because I talked to one of the guys that was a Hasbro, talking about you know saying, oh yeah, this is the first run of figures. This is the first wave of figures before the movie. When the movie comes out, there'll be a second wave because everyone was questioning how come there isn't like a Leia figure of the new series, and how come there's a new not a new Han figure. Uh, and he's like, well, there's a second wave coming out, so I think there'll be another. Star Wars Force Friday coming up maybe in January. I mean, seeing as the popularity of this film, I'm guessing the toys will roll out pretty quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the the, the promotional stuff has been really, really well done. And it kept you guessing, and it, and it, it really didn't destroy anything that you expected. You were talking about spoilers, and uh, that reminded me of a post on Facebook of one of my friends. She's a Spanish teacher at high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was invited, her and her husband, to join us Thursday night, but they declined. And I guess Friday, one of the students in her class got upset about something. So to take out his frustration, he decided to spoil to everyone in the class and her, like, the biggest plot points of the new movie. Oh, oh my yeah. God. He, he spoiled the fact that Daniel Craig is in the movie playing a stormtrooper? <laughs> <laughs> Why would he do that? That that ruins the franchise. <laughs> she was not happy about it, and I was like, "Well, you should have gone with us, then you wouldn't have to worry about it." Well, Paul taking the side of the the little jerk. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, it is. It is one of those things where it's like, you know, you have to reassess the unwritten laws of the spoilers. Because my thing is like, with a movie this huge, if it's a movie, I give you about two weeks to yeah. go and see it. If it's a TV show, I give you a week because it's a weekly kind of thing. But if it's like an old movie like Sis and Kane or something like that, it's like, take as much time as you like. Or an indie film. It's a, If it's like an indie film which I'm interested in but, you know, um, it's not on wide release, it's like, well, it's a good film and, you know, watch it whenever you can. It's that kind right, of right. degrees of spoiler etiquette. I had come across something online before seeing the movie that said that Han was killed. But it was right along with another comment by someone that said, yeah, Han shoots Ray and then he shoots Chewie and stuff like <laughs> that. So I completely gave it no credence and thankfully went in fresh. Yeah. That, that was good. I like that um, that, got that follow-up comment to try and deflect it. Yeah. It's like he can't. he's trying to fix the damage and just go like, oh, no, 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 this happens and this happens. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Because I'm just, I'm just saying that that scene where Luke Skywalker sells R2-D2 for like a whole stack of portions, that was amazing. I mean, yeah. you know, R2-D2's been around for a while. He's pretty old, but hey, he's vintage. People want that. I know. And like when Ray finally reaches Luke Skywalker, he's on the toilet. It's like, man, of all times, this is the one time you reach me and I'm on the toilet. That was kind of embarrassing for both of them. And then they just stare at each other and the movie ends. That was weird. Well, it was more weird because he was shaving his mustache at the same time. <laughs> and it's like, it's like what what happened to you, man? And he's like, oh, Obi-Wan said this is the best way. You know. Multitasker. Yeah. <laughs> but the worst the worst spoiler, I think, was uh, you know, when the Millennium Falcon, it's basically, it's it's it does that J-turn, but it's legally doing it. I mean, come on. If you had if you were the space police, you'd pull that freight over and do something about it. But if you pull a J-turn in a vehicle that size in that kind of district, I mean, it's just a small village. You don't you don't want to cause dramas. And so doing that kind of stuff, a J-turn, seriously, 
I think I think Han Solo should have been pulled over and he should have gotten a ticket. I I I just I just think that was that's that's one thing. I mean, you can't get away with crime. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. No. Del- now, is the J turn the same as a U turn? Yeah, it's done on Jakku. Okay. Yeah. Get it? Now, did either of you see it in three D? No, I saw the two D showing. I already live in three D, so I don't need any more Ds in my life. <laughs> yeah, it's it's already real enough to me. Right, right. How about you, Paul? No, mine was 2D. I'm completely satisfied with 2D, but I do plan on checking it out in 3D, either regular or IMAX. Yeah, I think you gotta... I think it's interesting for the 3D one, because it's different from the regular one, because in the 3D one, you have basically Kylo Ren leaning towards the screen a lot more, going, ooh, <laughs> look, at, look over there, and he does that dramatic pointing right across camera. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's only with the special 3D edition, you know, where they kind of keep leaning things towards camera, going, guys, I found this sandwich! <laughs> when when Finn just starts juggling things in the Millennium Falcon? Yeah, yeah, and then the Millennium Falcon, like, teeters back and forth, and then, like, you have BB-8 flying towards screen, and you think it's going to hit you. <laughs> then one of the ushers throws a soccer ball at, at somebody's face. <laughs> if you're fortunate. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see someone actually do it, and I'm probably sure it happened. Like, someone's going, <laughs> wow, look at the graphics. Bah! <laughs> anyway, that's, we're just going off on the tension. Yeah, we, we really got to talk about this movie. So so let's get right into this. Now, we we start with uh, with Poe on Jakku. He's meeting with Max von Sydow's character, and, and he's given this little satchel, this little bag. And uh, that that's all we kind of know from there. And we see that... People are getting rounded up now on on Jakku as the First Order moves in. And, and Paul, you nailed it. This was a a massacre on Jakku that Finn was a part of, or, you know, at least present for. And that really led to his hero turn. Yeah, I believe it was uh, just a couple days before the movie came out that I was talking to you and said that I heard Oscar Isaac talk about how he was on a special mission for Princess Leia. Yeah. And so... I kind of put that together and said, well, maybe he's who the First Order is after. And, uh, and all those scenes at nighttime with the fires and stuff was Jakku. Now, unfortunately, I was still distracted about the sound <laughs> when the movie started. So I wasn't listening for those first two words of the movie that we had been told by J.J. Abrams. But I believe the sentence that this will was part of mm-hmm. was... Oh. Uh, Max von Saito saying this will begin to set things right or something like that. Yeah, that's correct. I was about, about to say that, yeah. Yeah, as he hands the quote-unquote flash drive <laughs> right. to, uh, to Poe. And uh, some people that have reviewed this movie since then have talked about whether that sentence talks about more than just what's going on in that scene, but that this movie should start to set things right and kind of help us forget about the prequels. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. It is true. There's a lot of things in this film which kind of um, allude to the fact that things are changing and things are going to be, uh, I, I guess, put back into a, a, a better light, seeing as those old ones, the, the old, yeah, I can say they're old ones, the old um, prequels really did, they really did a number on the whole series, I gotta say. You know, it really gave you a different, I know it wasn't what you wanted, but at the same time, it's like we're not in control of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I guess from that early scene. Plus, we don't know who that character was anyway, completely. And why, I mean, beyond the saying it will set things right, 
uh, how he came into contact with this information and who he was. His name is Lor Santeca, or Lor Santica. Mm. But uh, all we know is that he's a, a village elder on Jakku, and he, for some reason, has that missing piece of the map that's going to come into play, uh, you know, as we go along in the movie. And uh, that's uh, really the, the sought-after piece of the puzzle, so to speak, by, uh, by everybody. Mm. Like you were talking about in the, the prequels, Hamish, it, it was just mm. funny because when Poe gets captured, ultimately, and is brought before Kylo Ren, and he's, you know, just kind of kneeling there and, and looks up at him, mm. or, or maybe he's not kneeling at that point. But when he's he's there and he's looking at him, and and he's like, uh, "Do I talk? Do you talk? Uh, how does this work?" And I just it hit me all of a sudden, like, "Oh yeah, these characters are allowed to have personality." Like for the last couple of movies, I forgot that there can be lines like this that kind of break the tension with humor, and we really had not had that since probably Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and and that's I think off the bat, that's how things started to change. It's like the, the I guess for a joke. Uh, those prequels were very much I talk, then you talk. Remember, it was like walking and talking. It was like yes. I'm talking now, and now you're talking. And so, as soon as that scene happens, he's like, "Do you talk? Do I talk?" It's like <laughs> this guy. This guy's a cocky son of a son of a man. Son of a man. <laughs> I'm trying. To, I'm trying to avoid doing the bad words here, people. He's um, a son of a pilot. He's a son of a pilot. Uh, well, there actually is a comic, and you can actually find it where it's um, his parents meet after the Battle of Endor. Yes, no, that's the uh, the Shattered Empire journey to Star Wars: The Force Awakens. It's a, a five issue uh, series by Marvel. And yeah. Paul, did you did you read that completely yet? I did not. I purchased all the digital copies that I was missing. Um, I believe it's actually a four part series. Oh, okay. Yeah, I downloaded them, but I haven't read two through four yet. Yeah, and that's the thing with um, his character. You get this sense that he's a cocky guy, but at the same time, it's like he's allowed to. I mean, it's like if you've been living through this tyranny of uh, the Empire and now you're up to this repeat tyranny of another Empire, it's like, I'm tired of you guys. And plus, remember, he's supposed to be a cocky kind of guy and he's also deflecting the fact that if he keeps talking, then BB-8 can run off. Right, right. So if he's... And plus, remember, he wants to show that he's, you know, not scared of this guy. Because remember, Mm. they've all seen seen a Darth Vader, they've all seen evil. So, yeah, I think from that off the bat there, it's like when he's making fun of the fact that, you know, Kylo Ren's talking, he's like, I can't understand... A word you're saying with the mouth thing and the whatever like that, you know. It's it's. I thought that was great it's because it's like he's being very realistic to the fact. Like when Darth Vader turned up and he started talking to people, nobody was like, "I don't know what you're saying between the breaths and the talking thing." <laughs> and so for him, it's just like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. What's what's this? What's this whole face thing? Yeah. But also before that, before that, uh, the way they changed the tone of everything and how everything was changing was like Poe had a clear shot at Kylo Ren. And then we saw the new version of what this force power is. Yes. Yeah. yeah he just uh, stops that, that blaster bolt like right in midair. It's just something we've never seen before. Just a great effect there. And freezes um, him in place. Yeah. So right off the bat, it's like we go, instead of him deflecting, he can stop things and hold them in place. And yeah, uh, the whole setup in the beginning of this was, yeah, it was quite... Is a new, fresh take, but yeah, they they weren't going to follow the same beats as those prequels and really show that this is something different and this has got more moxie to it. And and what you were saying about you know Poe being you know cocky and arrogant, but not to the point where it's like, oh, I hate this guy. This guy's you know kind of sleazy. Mm. Poe's character was great. Oscar Isaac did a great job. I you really couldn't get a good sense of what he was going to be in the movie. Our only view of him in the trailer was pretty much him in the cockpit uh, of an X-wing. 
but you know, it, it just what a great character. And then as we'll see with, with Finn helping him escape and the, the two having just like this instant camaraderie, uh, even Poe naming Finn, as we find out, mm. as they escape a, in a TIE fighter, it's like, these are really great characters and, you know, they're really being set up a, as good people, you know? Mm. I love that moment where they, you know, just like, you know, I'm, I'm breaking you out. They're like, why? It's like, because it's the right thing to do. And he's like, you need a pilot. <laughs> he just kind of cuts through that rubbish. He's like, I need to help you. It's the right thing to do. He's like, you need a pilot. Yeah, I need a pilot. Yeah, <laughs> because I see like um, the actor John Boyega. He, you know, he's in his early twenties. Um, it seems like because he hasn't, he, it's like the Spartan program apparently now with the stormtroopers. Like they're taken from birth, so it yeah. seems like they're programmed to do certain activities, but they don't know how. Like let's say drive a car. Like if you're part of the elite flight squadron, you've known you know how to fly, and yeah. so for him, it's just like I don't know how to do this, so I need you to do the thing for me. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing, he can't fly. He can't fly vehicles, uh, spaceships. So it's interesting like that, where it's like he can see there's something he needs to do, but also at the same time, it's like, if I help him out, he could probably help me, and I could get off this thing. Uh, so yeah, the motivation's put in place, but it's interesting, because like, seeing as it's this new flavor character, the, the Poe uh, Dameron character, um, yeah, he's kind of like uh, a version of Han Solo. Like, you don't get to see know too much about him, but you know he's a pretty capable kind of guy. Yeah. You know, and he's been around the universe for quite a bit. You know, he, he knows his way. He's pretty cool. He's pretty chill. And so it's like that. It's, you have this kind of Han Solo type of guy. You know, he's a bit of a rogue in himself. He's a bit of a, you know, charming <laughs> kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure in the next movies, we'll get to see more of him. I mean, you know, if he was in the movie too much, he'd probably pull focus because he's just that kind of guy. Yeah. But I think I think with um, John Boyega's Finn helped figure out where we wanted to be with this film. You know, when they meet up and continue the adventure especially yeah from the beginning of it where you won't won't pull the trigger on in you know uh, a bunch of little defenseless people right but it's a good setup to show w- what this new em- is uh the first order is you know especially when he murders uh Kalorin, you know kills somebody first and then he orders the troops to kill everybody and they just do it it's a good start it's a good kind of showing you what this universe is now for i guess the the new order the villains of this piece and, and also, as we go along, we'll see that this movie was really, as I talked about in our previous episode, it's like really a love letter to, to the original trilogy. They're not ripping off scenes, but they're really paying tribute to what we've seen in earlier movies, just with little subtle scenes. Something to constantly remind us that even though these are kind of a new cast of characters in, in a familiar universe, but with a, their own story, it, it's really constantly reminding us of, of the movies that we loved and the, the stories that, you know, we were given long ago. And uh, as we go through this movie, there's just tons of callbacks to the original trilogy. Subtle and not so subtle. Mm-hmm. So for the beginning of the movie, you think of A New Hope, and you've got R2-D2, who has vital plans, vital information for the rebellion. His owner gets captured. He is on a desert planet, gets found by Luke, who uh, tries to take this droid back to its owner, Princess Leia. And, uh, and then in this movie, we have BB-8, who has this information, this map to find Luke. His owner, Poe, gets captured. He's roaming around in the desert, and then he gets discovered by Rey, and Ray tries to help him to get back to Leia and the Resistance. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and also, opening scene, we have a huge spaceship going across the screen. Yep. Um, 
but this time it's from a different angle. It's interesting because like they took those kind of elements that we are familiar with, but like shifted them. Uh, but I guess in some way you can say that with as the movie went along and you can see certain uh, allusions to the other film and other references to the other films, you could probably imagine that like in the prequels, because remember they had a lot of callbacks and a lot of uh, foreshadowing in the prequels, that the universe and the world of a Jedi is like it's symmetry to it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. an endless cycle, like a circle that keeps happening. And, you know, when you get to the end of the movie, you can feel that there's something different going to happen because things are not the same by the end of the movie after you get all the stuff out of the way. But yeah, in the beginning scene, there's, um, the enemies turn up on a, a resistance base, you know, a black guy in the outfit, a bunch of stormtroopers, uh, someone dies, uh, there's a confrontation. So it has that kind of same illusions to what happened, uh, which is good. I mean, it keeps it fresh because, again, you saw a lot of new stuff and a lot of the feeling of the old stuff. And so that's it. It's like there's a certain flavor within the universe that, you know, uh, when it comes down to, I guess, Jedis and good and dark side, there's a certain similarity, a symmetry to the universe. So I'm guessing maybe that's part of it as well. When I think about the negative things I have to say about this movie, this isn't one of them. It seemed to be one that a lot of the critics would bring up. Um, Mm -hmm. I was reading a lot of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and of the, like, 250 critics that reviewed it at the time I had looked, only 13 gave it a Rotten Tomato. Mm -hmm. But even among the ones that said good things about it, they said that it felt more like a reboot or a remake instead of a continuation and a new story and a sequel. Hmm. So some people don't like it. Well, I say they keep it kind of safe because I remember we've seen a lot of films at the moment where they are continuations, uh, but they, depending on their source material, they can either go really far away or stay very close. Uh, I mean, we're going to get a bunch of other reboots along the way. Uh, but yeah, like with Jurassic World, it was very familiar, nostalgic-driven. Uh, to the point Chris Pratt couldn't actually be, in, be a character. He was just being the action hero character archetype. Yeah. Uh, and there was a lot of leaning on a lot of uh, stuff that we are familiar with, especially going back to the actual Jurassic Park original you know, visitor's center and showing all the original kind of props and sh- stuff like that. That that one, I guess, is the biggest perpetrator of that kind of like, oh, it's nostalgia. And, you know, the ending of the movie really made no sense and the story really made no sense. It just was kind of cool stuff that happened. Uh, while you have Mad Max, which is a continuation of the series, but because its source material is so... It, I guess it's very fluid and you can interpret it in different ways. It was it was allowed to be what it wanted to be. You know, Max was a guy who was drifting from place to place. His adventures aren't exactly locked in place. Like, he hasn't got a goal. He's just trying to keep going in his life. And the people that, he's, that he meet are the story. And so with Star Wars, it's you fell in a situation where they had three good ones and you had three bad ones. Well, not completely bad, depending on which elements you want to take away from it. But those prequels did a lot of damage. And so with this movie, you want to keep it safe and accessible to people, uh, yet also, you know, have something fresh in there. And it was fresh. Like, the, the elements of new compared to the elements of old, I think there's a lot more new stuff. And the old stuff was there just to help structure and keep it, Keep it familiar for people, you know. It's like when you mm-hmm. go to a fr- friend's house and he's moved house. He could be a friend of yours for 30 years. And you know the history. You know his entire life story. But he's living in a different house now. You know, and the house is ultra-modern. And it's got new, you know, sinks, benches, places like that. You know, things like that. Um, 
But again, you know the guy. You know who he is. It doesn't matter where he lives. You know the guy. And right, that's right. what it is. It's, it's like, you know these stories. You know these people. But it's in a different place. And I don't think... I, I really couldn't say Star Wars is a reboot. Because the thing is, Star Wars has a kind of... You know, it has a fairy, fairy tale quality about it. And certain uh, setups for other stories. Uh, which which keep it fresh. I mean, like, you know, after this movie, you had a lot more questions. And yes, right. you could say there's a lot of things that remind you of the other movies. But I'm sure that's the reason for that is because maybe, you know, the life of a Jedi isn't exactly, you know, um, you know isn't, isn't a surprise to a Jedi. You know, like they know that the value of being a Jedi is going to happen this way. And what happens when you actually take this responsibility, these things will happen. Yeah. You know? So that's the whole point of the whole situation. It kind of, you know, there's a cycle that happens in a person's life. And I think maybe that's part of the story itself. I mean, you know, you take the idea that evil will always happen and evil will always want power. And that's the thing. They, I think, you know, we're following on that kind of idea. But that's the thing with Kylo Ren's character is that he's not a typical bad guy archetype. He has more depth to him now. Yes. You know, he's a conflicted guy. He's a guy who, you know, with uh, Anakin Skywalker in those prequels, you know, you could see that he, in the, the last one, he kind of just became Darth Vader. And he had bits and pieces where he becoming, you know, a little bit more evil. But in this one, it's like, you know, there's a whole history of him failing at the light side and moving to the dark. Or maybe he's trying to escape the light side. Uh, and that's the thing. Like, there's more questions for his character rather than, you know, one other character who is just evil for the sake of being evil. And mm-hmm. we just, you know, take it at face value. Because, you know, the first time you see Darth Vader in the original film... Yeah, there's not much about him. He's only on screen for, was it 12 minutes or so? And he only mentions that, you know, he talks to his master and he talks about, not too much, just like, you know, they talk about, you know, the old ways of the Jedi and all that kind of stuff. But that's the thing, he's, history isn't really built into that and you only see him as an evil character until he gets more of a backstory in the second one where he says, like, you know, I'm your father. And that's the thing, with this one, it's like, we know who the father is off the bat. We already know, you know, this guy had failed and he wants to be as equal to Darth Vader. And how did you guys think about that that turn here where we learn that, that Kylo Ren is actually the son of Han Solo and, and Princess Leia? Uh, did you guys see that coming or did you have uh, an assumption or a guess about that? I mean, how did you how did you feel about that? I wouldn't say it shocked me, but at the same time, it's not something I gave much thought to. Yeah, I don't think in any of our uh, podcasts about the trailers we really talked about that. We talked more about who Rey could be. Mm-hmm. seems that thanks to expanding universe information yeah it, it didn't seem out of place because it's been you know so many years in between and in the expanding universe it, it, it's a logical progression that's what would happen and we already know about the history of uh, Leia's character and we already know about you know if you have kids it'll carry on to their children so yeah when it happened it wasn't like a shock but also for the fact that a lot of people are putting solo at the end, <laughs> end of everybody else's name because they couldn't figure out who was who you know, at some point, I think it was that Finn character was, they said, oh, it's Finn Solo, or it's Ray Solo, <laughs> or it's, you know, Kylo Ren Solo. They kept on doing all these kind of things where they kept on trying to, you know, match it up. So, you know, eventually somebody was going to be related to him. 
But no, it, it wasn't too much of a shock. It was, yeah, thanks to the expanding universe, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, that's who he is. Um, but also, it gives you kind of that more um, more feeling where it's like when you find out that he went bad and he was trained by Luke, you're like, oh, sh- shivers, Luke, 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 Luke sucks at his job. <laughs> the, the the thing Luke's been training for, the thing that Luke is supposed to be carrying on, it went bad. Well, something happened. We don't know yet. We don't know yet, but something certainly turned in his yeah, that, uh, attempt to revive the Jedi Order. Yeah, and so I think it, it was kind of a logical progression. It wasn't shocking, but it kind of like, oh, this is this makes sense, especially mm-hmm. for like um, Han Solo having a kid with Leia, but also realizing that Han Solo had done something hugely wrong, like something had gone wrong. Like, I'm sure he had maybe uh, misgivings for having kids. I mean, maybe at the beginning he thought, like, oh, it'd be great to have kids. But, you know, when you learn that he ran away from everything and Leia basically, you know, they both separated for a little bit of time just to get away from, I guess, seeing each other and thinking of their kid in some way. But, you know, it's that kind of um, idea where, like, in Han Solo's position, seeing the First Order and seeing Kylo Ren, it's like, that's his problem. Mm -hmm. That's what he did. Um, yeah, it is a kind of reversal of the whole um, uh, Luke and Darth Vader situation, where it's like a guy, a son with all this power and a father who has no power. But that's the thing, it's it's taking those ideas and swapping them and turning them around. Uh, but yeah, you, you get a lot more of, um, with Kylo Ren being a conflicted character, and also for the fact that, you know, he's he's trying to do something. He's trying to continue something and trying to be something. Uh, for what personal reasons of his own? Just power, maybe? But, yeah, I, I like the fact that when we find out that he's the son of Solo, it's like, oh, this is not shocking, but it, it makes sense that there's going to be a kid out there. But also, you know, the Luke, the Skywalker bloodline has great uh, abilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so went off to train with his uncle. Who messed it up somehow? Or he was Somebody messed something up. Yeah. The biggest questions that are raised in my mind when it comes to this is how did Ben Solo come in contact with Snoke? Like, Mm. why would you let him get anywhere near this individual? And also, why would you ever tell him what his grandfather was like? Like, don't don't even talk about that. You know, you're trying to train him to be a Jedi. You're focused on good and light side. Like, how did he find out about all this stuff, then change and turn to the dark side. But also, where do they get the skull from? The Darth Vader skull? Well, the helmet, at least. Well, well it's like the helmet with the, melt, well, the melted helmet and skull. I don't think he can separate those two parts, seeing as he, he was in a funeral pyre. Um, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, who reclaimed that? Also, well, it's two things. It's like, one, who reclaimed Darth Vader's skull, and who found the lightsaber? Because remember, he lost yeah. the lightsaber when he lost his hand in Cloud City. So someone reclaimed that, and someone reclaimed the skull of uh, Darth Vader. Oh, it could have been a little thousand-year-old alien that's uh, been a lot of places and seen a lot of things. True. And you that's, never, and that's, never know. And that's the interesting part. It's like, they leave you a lot, all these questions to figure out certain things. Um, but no, I, I think for the familiar stuff, there's a lot of new stuff. Should we yeah. continue onwards, by the way? Yeah, well, l- let's not uh, skip over Rey here. So from, yeah. from this point on Jakku, uh, we see Rey and her life as a scavenger. Uh, there we see, uh, you know, she's she's going through all of these old Empire vessels and exchanging them basically for food. Uh, some mm. sort of green uh, instant bread, it looks like. 
Mm. And uh, that's just a, a lowly life uh, living inside of an ATAT, as uh, Paul theorized. And uh, we saw a lot of uh, relics that she had, including uh, it was a, an X-Wing pilot helmet. Mm-hmm. And a handmade doll. Yeah, yeah. And, and a, a, lot of, a lot of mystery there. A lot of mystery mm. there. And uh, we don't know exactly why she's there. We do find out that uh, her family dropped her off there for some reason, presumably for her safety, but we don't know. And uh, she always holds on to this hope that they'll be coming back. She always had hope. And her name is Ray. Like, a ray of (coughs) hope. (laughs) Sorry, that's... A little too on the nose. (laughs) I know it's on the nose, but like at the end of the movie, it's like, oh, it's a new hope. Like a ray of hope. Oh, 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 I'll let it go. I'll, it's like I'll let it go. <laughs> no, that's that's good. That's good. That's uh, yeah. that's uh, deeper than I looked into it. So no, mm. that's great. Mm. But no, I I, th- I think when we meet Ray, it's yeah, you can make a lot of um, connections. Go like, oh, it's like a Luke Skywalker character. And it's like, eh, who cares? Because her character is like she's able to live by herself and manage her life by herself. She hasn't got an aunt and uncle to live with. She's doing things on her own. She's capable. She's uh, able to move from location to location and survive. Yeah. Um, which is great because, you know, like Mad Max, they didn't they didn't oversell the fact that there is a, a well-written, strong character, a female character in this film. It's just, here's a character. In, yep. enjoy, enjoy what she can do and extrapolate and take what you want from it. And that's what I liked. It's like even in the, the press stuff and even in the promotional stuff, yeah, they didn't oversell it. They weren't trying to go, hey, guys, it's a woman. No, it's like, here's a character. And as yeah. the story progresses, you realize that, you know, she's even more capable and she's got this greatness inside herself. And, you know, it, it's good to see that. It's good to see that we're allowed to naturally enjoy a character rather than being sold on their gender going, oh, it's a female character and she's strong. Here she is. It's just like, here's a character. Right. Watch where she goes and, you know, where where she'll lead next. Well, where it leads next is the Millennium Falcon. As uh, as she meets up with Finn, uh, Finn's been discovered. Uh, Poe goes missing. Uh, that was kind of uh, interesting to see the, the TIE fighter just kind of swallowed up. Of course, obviously, we've seen Poe in the trailer uh, inside of an X-Wing in, in a battle that we have yet to see. So we knew he was okay. But uh, yeah. so now we get that scene from early, early on that we saw in the trailers of, of the explosion at that marketplace or that, you know, exchange yard or whatever it was. And uh, they're on the run. And uh, just kind of a, a great sight gag there where they're like, we can, you know, we can get away in that quad jumper, not not that old piece of junk. And of course, yeah, that's what ex- explodes. And uh, it's like, well, that piece of junk will do. And of course, what is it? The Millennium Falcon. Yeah, that was a good intro. Yeah, that's a, that a good intro because it it stayed with the whole fact of like, yeah, it's a piece of junk, um, and <laughs> that's the thing. It's like it's it's sitting there and it gives that kind of sense like, what is that doing there? And you think, oh, maybe Han Solo and Chewie are around. Obviously, they're not. Uh, but I, I just like how they explain how they actually it got it got left there. You know, it seems like those the two guys were looking for it, going like, yeah. oh, we didn't check it over here. Ah. Oh. Yeah, it's like Han Solo and Chewie were having a dude, where's my car kind of moment. (laughs) (laughs) Now, did either of you expect that when they were running and she said, that's a piece of junk, because I did right away and I whispered to my wife, it's the Falcon. Uh, No, because I I don't even, when I watch a movie, I don't try to think two steps ahead. I let it just hit me. That's just how I I do it. But yeah, I, I could see where you'd think, like, of course, that's where it is. Because we know that it flies around Jakku and is chased by TIE fighters, but I just kind of just focus on the story and didn't even think of that. 
True, that's what I assumed as well. Because you watch the trailer and it's like, oh, there's a sand planet, Jakku, there's a, a Millennium Falcon. I was thinking, like, you know, maybe they'll fly in or something like that. Maybe they land there by accident. Or maybe they've been living there inside the Falcon, like, um, you know, just some sort of caravan or something like that. But, um, yeah, it, it, but interesting, in fact, the, the jacket swap. That's what I meant to say. Because uh, in the toys, you see, you know, Finn with the jacket that uh, mm-hmm. Poe has. And then you see that Poe and Finn both have the same jacket. And that's the thing, like, I, I already picked up beforehand, because in some of the trailers and stuff, you see Poe has that jacket, and he's being led through one of the Star Destroyers. And then you see Finn with the same jacket, and I knew at some point they'd have to swap jackets. Like, you know, he'd swap and get the jacket. It's confusing for the toys, I guess, when you look at it, like, oh, they both have the same thing going on. But I know, I knew <laughs> that they'd have to meet at some point, and I knew that that was going to happen, like there was a swap over. But yeah, the Millennium Falcon, I assumed that uh, Han and Chewie were either, like, it didn't work anymore, and they were just living on um, uh, Jakku or as, like, it was a caravan or something like that, you know. Yeah, we, we were really wondering, because we assumed that the, the Millennium Falcon was expertly being flown around, uh, these fallen Star Destroyers being chased by TIE Fighters, so we assumed, of course, it's going to be Han Solo flying it, so how do they get to Jakku? And, of course, we find out they don't. They actually get off the planet, Finn and Rey, and they are captured by this freighter, and this is where we get our grand introduction of Han Solo and Chewbacca, and then finally boarding and saying, we're home, and lo and behold, they, they have been looking for it this whole time, because that was kind of a an odd thing where we're like, how did they lose it? You know, this thing was huge in the, the original trilogy. Han Solo, as mentioned in the movie, is a war hero. Uh, this is going to be an iconic ship in, in the history of the galaxy, and here it goes missing. Of course, it's stolen by people that stole it, by people that stole it, you know, over and mm. over again. So, of course, trying to find one small ship in a galaxy is going to be a difficult thing. And, uh, obviously, Han and Chewie had other problems, as we find out. So, mm. they were kind of a little sidetracked in their quest for the ship. And, of course, here it is, finally showing up on their radar. So, kind of a, a nice introduction here. I like that, um, as, uh, before that, we actually get some time... Uh, for the characters actually to talk about stuff and also show how damaged the Falcon actually is. Yeah. Like, they had to, there's the same problem with that motivator and they're going like, how do, how do we fix this? How do we do this? But then also at the same time, you get to figure out what Finn's all about. Like, Finn seems to desperately want to escape and get further and further away from the First Order. Yeah. But yeah, that's where you get to see the kind of interaction between these characters. You're in a familiar setting, but you actually get this whole interaction. It's, it's bizarre for the fact that it's just, you know, uh, an old-looking set. But you have different actors there and not their familiar types. So they get time to talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, especially when you figure out that, you know, Finn has, you know, been lying to her. <laughs> and he's, you know, relying on BBA. Like, yeah, they got a little bit of a character connection between these guys. How'd you like the little thumbs up from BB-8? <laughs> <laughs> he has a lighter? That's great. That's pretty funny, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting that you get that kind of character connection. But you're in a familiar surrounding. Uh, and they're doing the same sort of thing, of, you know, where Han and Chewie were fixing the Falcon, especially in that same sort of, um, I'd say engine pit or something like that, I would call it, mm-hmm. uh, where they're fixing up the engine and fixing up bits and pieces and having that conversation back and forth, uh, like they did in the other films, where they'd talk and they'd be fixing something at the same time. But yeah, I, I thought it was interesting just to see that, you know, we got more from Finn, and he's relying on a robot to <laughs> keep a secret. <laughs> <laughs> How did you guys think about Han Solo? Uh, his character, and where he's been in the last 30 years. I can tell you that it's not what I was expecting. Same here. Um, Same here. I was obviously thinking that he and Leia would be together and that they would still be both fighting with the Resistance and that the Falcon would have always been in his possession. But, you know, 
as the movie goes on, we learn about why they separated and uh, that he went back to the life he knew and loved and uh, just kind of threw himself back into smuggling and getting in debt to different people. So, you know, it explained it, and it was, I guess, easy to accept, but totally not what I was expecting. Mm, mm, I uh, When that scene happened and he pops up, it's like, it, if, it wasn't like, you know, for me going, oh, he's back, It's he's back in the Falcon. It's supposed to like, why is he here? Um, because, and then the thing is, as the story went on, it made more sense to figure out where he is. Uh, but I, what I liked is that, you know, when they finally got it, they're like, oh, we're home. We got it. We, yeah. we found it. But like, you know, it seemed like they knew exactly where to go to. Like, that was the thing that made it uh, feel more, I don't know, comfortable. Back, Like, they came back. Because like, Chewie and Han instantly pull out their blasters going, all right, we found it. And there must be somebody on board. And they started walking around. But like, Han quickly goes to that little switch to the side and starts flicking some things like yeah he knows exactly how to turn off security protocols and things like that yep so yeah i had that kind of familiarity and he's walking around the place you know like he owns the joint and yeah and they knew exactly where to find them yeah um but no when he turned up and he and i think because on my second viewing uh or as the story went along it made more sense for where he was in his life you know being a father trying to just you know make have control of his life again and yeah and going back to being a smuggler and being a bit of a rebellious guy it's like you know it's it made sense for him to be there but also you know it, it gave you this whole other story of like what did they do without the falcon and they've been was it smuggling those huge tentacle alien things yeah that was a, a crazy scene it almost reminded me of like alien movies mm, mm. you know it's like just these these weird dark corridors with these uh terrifying aliens i mean uh really strange mm. even for the star wars universe mm. but no i think that's good because you get to see more of the um, what else is out there, especially when he's in that kind of uh, Mexican standoff or whatever, or that kind of corner. He's, he's between two rival gangs. Yeah. And he's like, ah, uh, okay. Because it makes sense. It's like, yeah, you're a rebel. You're a crazy guy. You do, you're a bit of a smuggler who loves to, you know, wheel and deal. And it was great for the fact, like, you got to see that Chewie and... Uh, Chewie and Han, their conversations were still on point. Yep. You know, where he's like, don't worry, I'll just talk my way out of it like I normally do and Chewie's like Rrr. he's like no that only happened once you know <laughs> like that kind of back and forth especially with um, having Chewie back and having him with that kind of language barrier with Finn mm-hmm. and that was good with Finn you saw that he had no idea what anyone was talking about like the droid or any other aliens and you see that he has this kind of sheltered life but also he gives you kind of access to other people who have never seen Star Wars and they have that kind of like how can Luke Skywalker talk to a droid and how is Han talking to Chewie you yeah. know, you have that kind of thing where he's like, I don't know what you're saying. I, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah, a great great way of using him as a kind of a an entrance for n- people that are, are somewhat new to the franchise, you know, to, to get into it. Yeah, or a guy who's had a very sheltered life yeah, uh, and has experienced things outside of his own um, comfort zone. But yeah, as soon as they turn up and like, was it, he's walking through the corridors going back to the cockpit and he's like, wait, you're Han Solo? And this is the Millennium Falcon? And it's like, wasn't he a war? Wasn't he a general in the war? Wasn't he a smuggler? You know, like they keep. There's <laughs> that like good back and forth because they all have a you know back and forth banter, and Chewie's like, Arr! it just says that. Just, <laughs> you know, he's like, like, yeah, okay, and that's it. Like, I think that well, we've gone to the point where we don't need to know what Chewie's saying. We kind of guess it. Like, especially when they're on um when they're on the Starkiller base, and then, and Chewie goes like, you know, that was it. Chewie and uh, Han and Finn are having that back and forth, going like, you were sanitation, and then Chewie's like standing there ready gun, and he's like. Arr! 
It's like, you're cold? It's like, yeah, guys, stop talking. I, I'm cold. <laughs> Which is a funny joke. It's funny because he's, he's all fur. It's like, how can you be cold? Right, right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like I like that banter that, you know, as instantly they came back. You had, you know, Han Solo was, well, uh, Harrison Ford was Han Solo. He was back as a character. He was a believable, he was the character at that age, believably there. And Chewie was back. And that conversational banter back and forth wasn't stilted it wasn't old it was it was casual it was fresh it was still believable yeah picked up right where they left off uh at one point when those creatures were loose i think one was like rolling down the corridor and han was running away from it yeah and it just reminded <laughs> me of raiders of the lost ark oh yeah 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 and also if you notice when han was running down the hallway he punches a guy first they he didn't like they didn't shoot he just saw him and punched him in the face <laughs> That's that's what I liked because I saw that and he's like he's running to the corridor. The guy didn't even shoot or didn't see him there or like saw him and just turned around. But he just punches him in the face and then threw threw him at the alien. <laughs> so I I'd say that that's a case closed in a whole, whole Han shot first because he punches a guy who did nothing really to him. I mean he's there to kill him obviously like yeah, Greedo yeah. was and he just throws him to the alien and runs off. <laughs> Which you know it's, it's cool, but also I think the alien represents the whole. Um, was it that that monster that was in the the alien that was in the trash compactor? You know how there's a character who gets grabbed by the by leg by um a tentacle. Oh yeah yeah yeah. And then when uh, Ray he shuts shuts the door on the tentacle, it's wrapped around Finn like it was wrapped around Luke. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah I didn't even make that connection. That, that's true too. And and again, that's where it's dark and you get only those red emergency lights. The only thing yeah. that lights up the scene. Yeah, it's, that's it's, that's a great it's callback. Very, it's very green, it's very wet, and then he's like, you know, he's he's lucky that door. Like, was it? He's like the door that that shut on me. He's like, yeah, that was lucky. You know, <laughs> s- someone had to, someone had to do something at the at the right time to save somebody, and there's yeah, a tentacle involved. That's great. Okay, so from here we go to uh, Maz Kanata's castle. The Han Solo takes them there, kind of g- gives them a, a briefing on it, telling them that uh, she's a thousand year old alien. And uh, this is where they should probably go from here. And uh, what did you guys think of Maz Kanata's castle? Um, it's not quite what I was expecting. I was, I guess, had more in mind of like uh, Jabba's palace was, mm-hmm. where like she's definitely in charge. Like I don't, not maybe sitting on a throne, but you know, definitely kind of placed on a pedestal, kind of in a prominent role. And instead, it's just kind of like a bar, like the cantina again. Mm-hmm. And she's just waiting on people, serving drinks and stuff. And there's, you know, the different aliens that we had seen in photographs and magazines and stuff. But none of them were really more prominent than another, except a couple that were, you know, obviously spies for the First Order, spies for the Resistance. But it wasn't what I was expecting, but it was cool, and I was happy with it. Mm. I think my first thought was that that's a long way to go for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the middle of, like, it's on a planet in the middle of the woods. Like, I, I'll just go to 7-Eleven. It's, it's, it's pretty far out for a drink. But, like, you know, obviously, it's, I guess it's more one of those little secret smuggler watering holes uh, that you can drink at, you know. You, know, you can yeah, be yeah. fine. You can, you can do your business rather than being in public. You can just do it there at the smuggler watering hole. And she has all the information and all the guys from different places come together and you know, have a chit-chat. I mean, obviously, it's filled, filled with uh, an interesting type of customer. And you, know, you can see some guys playing little was it video games and uh, gambling and things like that. And there's mm-hmm. like huge different types of opulent size and robots and cool stuff like that. Uh, like that robot that looks like a microphone. Who's 
Yeah, he's, he basically just looks like a microphone with yeah. eyes and stuff like that. And he's like, oh, we better tell the resistance. I like that the fact that was like, there's two people inside that base. It makes sense because of the fact that, you know, there are spies everywhere. It seems like right. everybody was a spy in this film, you know? Or, or there was a bounty or something, you know, where they're, yeah. they're, they're willing to make money any way they can. Yeah, on the intergalactic Facebook. Uh, but that's what I liked <laughs> is that, you know, yeah, you had this, you had a good flavor of, you know, real characters and things like that. And again, you got the Han Solo's kind of, uh, his reputation precedes him kind of thing where she turns around and is like Han Solo and he's like hi <laughs> like, every, <laughs> yeah. like everybody's quiet and they're like what that guy but also I, I like the fact that you know there's some history between her and uh, Chewie but also after Chewie got shot he got left behind to, and he said alright Chewie you fixed the Falcon we'll go inside he's got one arm now because he got injured <laughs> it's like oh thanks man yeah I just got shot but yeah I'll fix this with my one arm right right thanks buddy but yeah, I like that how he gives Ray a, a weapon and, you know, arms them all up. You know, it seems like he has a secret storage locker of weapons, but uh, in the Falcon as well, which yeah. no one no one had found. But also there was that reference while uh, Finn was left to fix up Chewie. There was that um, that ball, that training ball. Yeah, they, yeah, they, that was great. Pull, yeah, he pulls out and then throws away really quickly. I mean, it's good. Like, there's little things like that. But, you know, the whole ship's full of junk. So... It, it's interesting to see that, you know, there are some parts that are still around. Apparently, from what I read, uh, they had to get it all correct, right? And when they were filming, or when they were putting it together, they realized one piece was missing. There's actually some solid gold dice in the cockpit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they realized that they didn't have them. And so, and so one of the guys, one of the prop department guys, were like, oh, we've got to go on eBay and buy one really quickly. And they're actually putting it. Like, they, they put all this attention to detail to show that it's the same ship. It's the old same ship. That's great. But uh, what we, I forgot to mention, seeing as with the Falcon's back and you have the co-pilot, Ray, when she's flying it by herself, showing how hard it is to fly the thing by yourself, you know, when she's leaning over trying to hit the buttons and, you know, do everything else, and then Finn using the guns, showing how insane it is, you know, you're flying around in a chair. I like that for the fact that, you know, you, you think in your head, like, there's a romantic idea, like, oh, all this stuff's easy. You can do it. You know, everyone can use the gun system. But you look at Finn, who's basically our access point for uh, newcomers to Star Wars. Yeah, he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is crazy. <laughs> this is insane. Yeah. And, you know, Ray, who's like, this is really hard without another person helping me. Um, yeah, I like the fact that, you know, we got more um, an idea of what it li- is like to fly the Falcon. Especially when we all have this romantic idea about what the Falcon is. And then she's sliding across the, s- the sand and smashing into things. <laughs> You know, it isn't like, oh, you should take care of it. It's like, nope, smash. Right. And But although she was struggling, she's pulling off some amazing maneuvers. And, and of course, Finn totally, you know, at the end is just like, I can't, how did you know how to do that? And she's like, I don't know. And of course, that's that should have been our first clue that uh, maybe, you know, she has some extra abilities that aren't really fully manifest yet, but are starting to, you know, show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when they land on the, I guess, uh, uh, intergalactic, watering hole or smuggler's den i think when we see uh maz Kanata, that i guess you could say oh she's like a wise small alien person yeah you could say yeah it's a mixture between the kind of yoda and wise person but yeah i, I let that i let that go because it's like it doesn't matter she seems to be like an interesting character as soon as she starts talking she has this kind of familiar way of speaking to people especially calling chewbacca her boyfriend yeah that was great i love that where's my boyfriend <laughs> It's like, I, I like that Wookiee. That was funny. And, and I love the way that this Maz Kanata character looked. Well, I, you know, obviously we knew from behind the scenes footage that was released that, you know, Lapita Nyong'o had all of those, you know, like motion capture dots on her face to capture the facial expressions. So I was mm. kind of nervous to see exactly how this would come out. 
she came out great. Like this was really nicely done. It, uh, it, it didn't look too, you know, computer boss NAS looking or anything. It really, the facial expressions really translated well. I agree. We're, oh, yeah, we're in the base and they have a, a conversation. This is where we start picking up bits and pieces from, was it Han, Finn, and Ray talking to Mascanada, and then, you know, Finn's sitting there talking about he wants to get away. It's funny. Yeah. Because, you know, that's when you start seeing that she has, um, I guess, a history with this whole, uh, I guess, people. It's, she knows people. Yes. We get this idea that she's not just about one type of thing. She's not like a person who just has a bar and she's a bit of a... A rogue. Uh, she's a person who understands people. And that's the reason you go there. She's like yeah. this spirit, spiritual guide or this person who can put you on the right track. And so when Finn... Because again, we get more um, more stuff from Finn where Finn's like, you know, he, he wants to leave. He want, doesn't want to stay. He wants to keep going. And she's like, you're running from something and you keep running away. And he's like, you don't know me. But it seems like he doesn't know himself. Right. She reads people very, very well. Mm. Now we, we get the scene here where... Ray goes downstairs, and she's being called to by something, it seems. She's being drawn to something, and we hear the sound of, like, children crying. And she walks into the right room and goes over to the right chest and finds, of course, the lightsaber belonging to Luke and Anakin. And as she touches it, we get this reality-warping scene, which was uh, pretty amazing. What, what did you guys think about this? The first thing it made me think of was some of the scenes in the Batman games, when, uh, <laughs> which we will be reviewing at a later time, I know. But uh, in the Arkham Asylum, and uh, I forget if it's City or Origins, but you get gassed by Scarecrow. So you're saying she's been gassed by Scarecrow? <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. She's she's in some sort of form of Arkham Asylum, and she's been gassed by a scarecrow. She's like, "What? My parents are alive!" <laughs> because the first thing that happens is like she's in this long hallway or something, and it just reminded me of that. But um, yeah, I guess this was a force vision. You know, obviously Yoda told Luke that when he's using the force, there are things that he will see—the future, the past, old friends long gone. And then, of course, there was the test in the cave on Dagobah when he fights Vader, which is like the only part of the original Star Wars trilogy that I still can't explain to others. Yeah. But now I almost feel like I can because I feel like, well, that was something produced by the Force. So that's what this was. She touched that lightsaber and the Force gave her this vision in which she saw that one little glimpse from the trailer of Luke putting his mechanical hand on R2. Mm -hmm. That one little glimpse of the Knights of Ren, which I was very disappointed that <laughs> what the trailer showed of that was pretty much all we saw. Yep. That was kind of disappointing. And then I had seen on IMDb that this young actress was playing young Ray. Okay. So I knew there was going to be some kind of flashback so when I saw that, I expected it. But um, yeah, you know, her being left on Jakku, watching the, the starship fly away. Also, she was, um, in that uh, flashback, the person dragging away was the guy who works at the, uh, was it, the portion shop, whatever it is. Oh, was it? Yeah, the second viewing I noticed it, because it's like, it's the same hand and it's the same voice going, come with me, like that. It's him. So it seems like he knew about her being a kid or he was put into the, the slavery or whatever that situation is. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah. Also, it's fun fact, and uh, seeing as it's popped up recently, um, it's a fun thing to say that uh, during that her flashback, her, her Force Awakening, uh, yeah, mm. see, um, <laughs> there were there, they had Frank Oz come back to Yoda. They also had uh, samples of Alec Guinness and samples of obviously you know the younglings and things like that. But they actually did have at the end of it. You know how when she falls out of the room and you know you hear these are your first steps. That's actually Ewan McGregor. Really. Yeah, they recently uh, talked to J.J. J. Abrams, seeing as, you know, spoils are now starting to fill everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was actually him. They actually got him to come in for a, a day and to do that, to do, you know, was it, these are your first steps, just to do that line, and he went away on his motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, and in, in the outset of the episode, I heard you mention Ewan McGregor, and I was going to ask you about, you know, exactly... At what point we see or hear him, but that yeah, okay, so that's that's amazing, that's brilliantly done. Yeah, so they allowed him to come back because I guess it's that blending of the past, present, and future. And yeah, I I allow it. I mean, yeah, we yes. don't want to think think of the prequels, but no, I I would allow that. To no, reintegrate because... the good elements of the prequels, and that's fine. That's fine with me. Yeah, but um, also strange enough, this is one of the theories about both Kylo Ren and uh, where Ray is. I mean, Ray. Uh, it seems to have had this ability her entire life. And as it's explained by Maz Kanata, where she says that lightsaber belonged to Luke Skywalker and his father before him. And, you know, she, she says that the truth is that you know that they're not coming back for you, yet the light has been with you the entire time. Because when uh, when she gets her mind read by Kylo Ren, and he says, like, you know, you don't sleep at night, you live in a hot environment, you dream of the island. And at the end of it, we meet Luke Skywalker on an island. Mm. Before we even get the map, before we get the pieces put together, she's known her entire life, and that's her dream. Her dream was seeing this island. So it's like she knew exactly where to go. She couldn't find it, but her dream was that there was this island that she needed to go to, or she wanted to go to, and that's where we find Luke. And so her entire life, she's known about this. That means Luke's known about her. And the other thing about it was that artifacts... Because in, I think, the Expanded Universe, I talk about the fact that um, you can still use the Force if you have artifacts of Jedi or Sith. And seeing as Rey now has the lightsaber, or was near the lightsaber, and she had this huge influx of Force uh, memories going through her, but also uh, Kylo Ren has the skull of Darth Vader. And what they've been saying is that as long as you have these artifacts, you can tap into the Force. You know, it's like... Um, Tapping into someone's cable connection illegally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as long as you have these artifacts, you can siphon the force mm. and use it for your own. And uh, that's what it's been assumed by it. With um, the training with uh, Kylo Ren, I'm assuming was, well, not Kylo Ren, it Ben Solo, through Luke, was he was, he's impatient to, I guess, be better or something went wrong. Because as soon as he got in control of that skull, that Darth Vader skull... Because remember, he mentions that he's... Was it? He's guide me grandfather? Yeah. Like, you know, he wanted to... Like, he, apparently the thing talked to him and, or showed him something. And so, I'm believing that the artifacts are the most important parts here. Where he's part of the Force, sure, and so is she. And also, it's strange enough, at the end of it, he said, when they were fighting, um, you need a teacher... Rather than like a guide or something like that, he said, you need a teacher. I, and it's like, you know, I can show you the ways of the Force. Like, he wasn't saying the dark side of the Force. He's saying the Force. Mm. Just generally the, the the Force, right? And even though he's been seduced by the dark side, it seems like the Force is different now. Like, it's not, you know, uh, the Sith kind of style. It's something else. Something that's been, you know, uh, changed and altered. 
Well, Kylo yeah. Ren kind of sits in that gray area in between, as we see, too. Yeah. Almost as, as Sean brought out in our, our last talk, where he's, you know, apologizing to the memory of his grandfather for, for starting to turn to the light. Hmm. You know, it's kind of an interesting place in where he sits in this movie. And that kind of, you know, lends to the tension that we see in his confrontation with his father in a, in a little bit. Mm. And so I, I believe that with, I think it's the artifacts, like, because he's so close to, he has he has the Darth Vader skulls in his own room, right? In, in the same room. Yeah. So I, I feel like there's something that the skull is like he's... I would say drug, but something that gives him an edge over the powers of the dark side. You know, even though he's been trained to the light side, because I'm guessing, you know, he, he was trained long enough, and then somehow seduced, but it's like artifacts that hold great weight and great power. Yeah. Yeah, you know, as we've seen with um, the lightsaber and Ray, and that, you know, it spoke to them. So I, I believe it's like those kind of artifacts and things like that. It's harboring memories and harboring a strength within them to people who are very sensitive to the Force. So, yeah, so from that point where she you know, refuses the lightsaber and runs off because it's like she saw something and she's, I guess, not willing to accept where she is or, you know, what this responsibility is. Thanks to this uh, vision, she knows there's this huge responsibility behind it. You know, so when she runs away and she's like rushing off to the woods just to get some space. Yeah. And then, you know, meets up with BB-8 again. Yeah, I, f- I found it interesting. It makes sense because it's like there's this huge, like you went from a person with like very little responsibility, only to yourself, to this huge galactic responsibility with this mm. vision of greater things and death and things like that in your life. And as Paul brought out, you know, and the last time we saw something like this where reality wasn't quite what it was is on, you know, Dagobah and Empire Strikes Back where Luke had this, you know, vision and was kind of seduced by the dark side and had to confront Darth Vader, but only in vision. So this would be the only point where J.J. Abrams could, you know, kind of warp the world around these characters or, or her and, and show us visions of past, present, and future. And this is, you know, the one opportunity he had to do it, and that's what he did. And, and it was used right, which which I appreciate. So from now, we we get that scene on the Starkiller base, uh, of course, bringing us, you know, memories of Hoth from Empire Strikes Back. And uh, we see General Hux addressing this huge crowd of stormtroopers, snowtroopers, and First Order officials. Uh, Captain Phasma is there. And uh, he declares that, uh, you know, today will be the last day of the Republic. And they fire that primary weapon of the Starkiller base. And that was that giant red laser we saw in the trailer that streaked by Kylo Ren's ship. And uh, we see it destroy pretty much the, the Senate seat of the Republic. The, uh, the Hosnian system, I believe they call it. Mm. And what did you guys think about this sequence? I liked the imagery of the base we had talked about what we had seen from the trailers of that and the blacks and whites and red that all looked cool i thought his speech was very dramatic almost uh just like going nuts at the end and uh, that was interesting to see it completely different from what we've seen before where people in charge were more in control and not really emotionally invested Mm mm-hmm I would say. And then, of course, we see that Starkiller base is like the Death Star on steroids. And instead of destroying one planet, it takes out five or six at once. So again, more similar themes, you know, but this super base that has this uh, amazing power on one 
another Death Star, and they kind of did that. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, the First Order will continue to take technology as far as it'll allow them and create bigger and better weapons that they feel they need to accomplish their purpose. So I can accept it, but I kind of hoped it wasn't going to go that way. Yeah. I mean, Sean was talking about uh, how he hoped that the Starkiller base kind of lingered on for a couple more movies. You know, maybe it was something bigger that they were building too. Uh, obviously, like you said, it's bigger than the Death Star. They even show us uh, at the uh, the Resistance base. They kind of do a, a projection to show everybody, well, this was the size of the Death Star. This is the size of the Starkiller base. And everyone's just kind of like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and kind of an interesting twist, Paul, is you and I were talking about is it called the star killer because it strikes the star at the center of a system, but instead it actually draws its energy from a star. And in that sense, it is a star killer. And that could also explain kind of the, the cold atmosphere. If you would imagine that it kind of drifts off to star systems and destroys the sun, it might not, you know, get a lot of warm weather. So you kind of get that icy landscape, but uh, an interesting twist on the, on the whole death star design. And incidentally, because it's powered by a star, and there's a war on it, you could say it really is a Star Wars. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Come on! Just give me that one. I mean, no, oh, it, you can have it. You can have it. Yeah, it's literally powered by uh, a sun or star. You know? Yeah. Um, but no, that's the funny thing about it. Is I think Donald Gleeson uh, appearing in this work, because the last thing I saw Donald Gleeson in, which I, I meant to see the ex machinima thing, but I saw him in uh, Frank a while ago. Uh, he, he's given such interesting material to work with. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's playing some of that, that kind of straight uh, Admiral Tarkin kind of th role, but yeah. he's got a lot more to it. I mean, there's a lot more, um, I would say, Nazi imagery within this film, because if you notice, there's characters with patches on their arms and things like that, mm -hmm. uh, especially when he's in front of a huge uh, crowd of military and he's you know yelling at the top of his lungs. But I like I liked that he actually played it, and it didn't feel like... It felt like the reversal of the kind of... Um, uh, yeah, Independence Day kind of we'll go into uh, go in and <laughs> yeah. fight the evil people. It's supposed <laughs> like no, we'll go in and kill everybody. But also, it's good that we get to see the entire uh, setup of what the First Order has, like you know, weaponry and uh, equipment and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's cool that you know he seems to be the one who's really in charge, and Kylo Ren is just this extra guy along for the ride almost. But mm. also, I like how um, talk about the prequels and things like that. Um, the characters in this, like the military guys uh, of the First Order. You know, they they seem to fear Kylo Ren, especially if they make you know they do something wrong, and he starts slashing at computer screens and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, he has like a huge, crazy temper. But he'd made a good reference where he's like, you know, when one of the they find out that Finn has gone rogue uh, after Captain Phasma, who we haven't talked about yet. Uh, Captain Phasma says like, you know, he was going off to re for reconditioning, whatever that involves. Mm. Uh, but says that he went rogue, and then. Kylo Ren walks up and says, "Like maybe we should replace all the maybe our idea of replacing you all with a clone troop isn't a, isn't a bad idea." Yeah, great line. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good kind of throwaway line, but it worked really well because you know then Donald Gleason's character is like, "No, my men are the best. They were taken from birth because he's using the Spartan idea uh, program idea, I guess. Yeah, you, know, you take kids from birth and you train them up and program them to be what you want them what you want them to be." Right. Yeah, that's all they know. Yeah, which is uh, you know it's a it's a good kind of fleshing out what these. Uh, stormtroopers are they're not just you know uh clones or alien monsters and things like that no it's a uh, they're, they're people but they're 
cruelly taken away from their family. But yeah. also, I like the, the diversity of stormtroopers too. At this moment, seeing as we're talking about a huge army in the space station, I like the diversity because like the a, a, a huge array of different characters, like voices you hear, like female stormtroopers, male stormtroopers, and so I guess you know, and yeah, Captain Phasma, who you know you don't see her take off the helmet, but yeah, you, know, you can see that she's in charge. She's the one who kind of keeps these stormtroopers in line, especially from the beginning of the film where she says, like, you know, tells Finn to put his helmet back on. Yeah. You know, it's like, no one's supposed to have a face. No one's supposed to have an identity. You have a number, you do your job. And, yeah, I like that for the fact that, you know, her character is well in, well, in, very well in charge, you know, of these little stormtrooper people while the higher-ups go and keep focus on the bigger picture. And Kylo Ren basically hangs out in his Star Destroyer. <laughs> yeah. Know, brooding and being a bit of a grump. <laughs> That's that's what I can say. Bit of a grump. I was about to say he's acting like an emo kid who just doesn't like his parents. Yeah. <laughs> he just wants to be different and cool, long hair. That's the problem with his character. <laughs> I mean, you can basically say you can you can take it from that angle where he's a kid, he's just, you know, trying to be cool and have his own space station, his own outfit, listens to his own music. <laughs> And really what we learn is that the the moral of every one of these Star Wars films so far is be a good dad to your kids. That's all it boils down to. And uh, that's the message I guess Lucas is trying to build across. But uh, that seems to be the message that uh, Lucas and Abrams and everyone's trying to get across to people is be there for your kids. You know, be a good dad because this is what happens when, when you don't evidently. Anakin didn't have a father. Yeah, see, there was no father there for Anakin. Yeah, not, that's not true. anybody's fault, but uh, yeah, Anakin didn't have a dad. But Ray uh, goes off and finds her father. We're assuming that you know, well, Luke's we her don't father. Know. We don't know. I- I'd say yes. I want to say yes, just because it seems like Luke knew that she shouldn't be around. Like he had the same sort of feeling that you know uh, that she shouldn't be near him and should go off and explore things for herself because. Yeah, maybe he knew that, you know, he wanted her to have a life of her own, not be you know, wrapped up in this whole Jedi business, because he knows that it's only a cycle of death and decay, yeah. and wanted her to be her own thing and live her own life. Um, even though he was training Jedi, he just didn't want her to be near him and let her choose her own path. Now, who's Rey's mother, though? Uh, uh What? Mara Jade. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, well... <laughs> Yeah, or it could be, you know, like, uh, just like Shmi, you know, the the force was so strong that uh, maybe there was a junior situation and uh, and Luke became pregnant. And we don't oh. know. We don't oh, know. yeah. Yeah, there's this whole other film with Danny DeVito and Mark Hamill, you know, going, you're going to have this baby. I can't have this baby on this planet. <laughs> and, and the lightsaber works perfectly for cesarean sections because it, it would cauterize. So, you know, again, we don't know. We don't know. We can only speculate from this point. Yeah, but no, I, 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 it's it's interesting that way, isn't it? Where it's like we have so many more questions, but I think that's 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 the fun, uh, the fun of it. I mean, oh, yeah. you're able to take what you want. They're not telling you in stone, and it's not this, it's not that. But um, yeah, I think part of the story is, like you've mentioned, yeah, be good to your kids, be nice, because <laughs> in the future, if you make a movie called Back to Future Two, and you have Max Spielberg, and he doesn't make Jaws nineteen, then you're just letting your father down. Yeah, Alan Smithy will have to take over. <laughs> yeah, Alan, Alan Smithy comes through like, out of my way, boys and girls. It's time for the men to do a movie about a shark. Oh, man. Well, what am I... <laughs> okay, we're getting off track again. Paul, did yeah, you have right, anything um, you were going to say? Well, when it comes to Ray's background, I am interested to see what they uh, reveal to us in the next movie. Some people thought that she may be another child of Han and Leia. And they just decided not to reveal that yet. They thought it'd be best to give her time 
that seems kind of skeptical at this point. Uh, yeah. A lot of people think that she may be Luke's kid, or I thought maybe she could be someone that he was training when things went bad with Ben and just decided to, you know, quit the academy, put her on that planet. And the only thing that would make that work is people are wondering if you can use the Force to kind of mind wipe someone and make them forget certain things. Oh, interesting. Okay. Maybe she has a background like that, or maybe she's just a uh, completely new character that has a, just has force sensitivity. Yeah. Hmm. But um, what I like is that with Finn and her, uh, there's like chemistry between those two, and there seems to be, uh, I guess, an early stage of a romance between those two characters. Uh, but like it's done in this way where like they're just two separate people who have met each other and it's not creepy. <laughs> no, it, no, it's done, I, done right. Yeah, it, it's done so it can be an organic kind of love story between these two people. But like, you know, they've got so like different motivations in their life and they get, they come from different angles, especially for um, Finn's character who just wants to escape. And I guess, you know, he wants to explore the universe and see what else is out there. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he has no idea what to do with himself, but, you know, it's it's interesting to see that, you know, as soon as he decides to leave and we see the Starkiller base destroy those planets and everyone's looking up in the sky, he's like, oh, wait, I know what this is. And he realizes he has to go back. He has to go and tell the guys and say, uh, I know what that is and I can help. Yeah. You know, it's like he's he's got this responsibility to keep going and keep helping people. Like, you know. Almost a Han Solo turn where he leaves and then comes back to help. Yeah, and he's winging it though. He's yeah. lying again. Yeah, we, we find out later on. Yeah, when he's realizing he's just winging it the entire time. Uh, but yeah, then uh, Maskinar's base, as uh, it gets attacked, gets completely destroyed. And and that's something we figured out from the trailers. There are certain structures that you mm. could see uh, in the rubble that matched up with walking into the castle. So we we knew. And then of course later trailers pretty much showed the spires of that castle come crashing down and pretty much out of this we get kylo ren confronting ray and uh you know taking her away and then that's this is where she's brought on to star killer base yeah because that's what i made her up uh up again yeah because it's like she she ran off into the woods uh and then she you see the tie fighters flying over and then that's when they both have their encounters where she finally learns to fight while yeah. she uses her gun for the first time yes and uh you know it's actually pretty Good at it, as we see. And this is where we finally see Finn uh, wielding that lightsaber. You know, hey, you got a weapon, use it. And uh, yeah, it kind of stabs a couple of these stormtroopers with it. It was kind of, you can see why yeah. the PG-13 rating came into play here. He really, he cruelly stabbed that one guy straight up. Like, it wasn't like, <laughs> I'll just I'll just tap him back and force him back. Or just, you know, wield the sword at him and get him to walk away or cut his gun off. No, it's just like, hey, buddy, flomp. Just yeah, stab him right in the stomach. I, I give him a pass because that's probably the first time he's seen a lightsaber, maybe. other No, actually, that's not true because he saw no. Kylo Ren use it. So, no, I don't give him yeah. a pass. Yeah, so he stabs that guy. But um, I like how they're prepared, though. Uh, there's that other guy with, like, kind of the, the, the lights. I guess a shock stick or something like that. Who's obviously a better fighter. Yes, you know? oh, yeah. He pulls out, he's like, traitor! And he, like, he knows exactly who he is. He doesn't need the armor. He knows exactly who the guy is. And he, like, you know, he starts... Basically schooling Finn, really. Mm. You know, it's like, he's got this weapon which is basically deflecting lightsaber. Like, I like that. They um, they turn the lightsaber from being just this almighty get-out-of-jail-free card weapon when you're in a fight to being, it's a weapon, but unfortunately times have changed and it can be stopped. You know, like Finn mm. has no idea how to hold it. Like, he's doing a pretty good job deflecting, but that guy has like, that stormtrooper has like a better skill set than he does. And just smacks him down. 
And the only way he was going to win that fight, he got shot by somebody else. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. He had to be saved because uh, you know yeah. Finn's not that great of a fighter, and you know doesn't uh, doesn't want to go the way of violence really, unless it's absolutely necessary. Mm. I mean, he seems pretty handy with a blaster when he picks one up and he starts shooting off guys. Yeah. Also, also we get to have that kind of hero moment with um, Han Solo and Chewie, where Hans does a shoot, shoot, not looking shoot. Oh yeah, that was great. Yeah, I gave that a pass just for just for the fact, like, yeah, why not? Sure. We'll just let him have that shot. Um, but also, we forgot to mention beforehand where um, they Chewie and Han was it Chewie, Han uses Chewie's bowcaster. Oh yeah, yeah, he he. After all these years, he finally uses it for the first time, and uh, yeah, yeah, he really liked it. Yeah, it seems kind of weird that he never had a chance to use it any other time. It's just like, oh, now I get to use it, and he's pretty hyped about it. He's like, man, this is this is really good. <laughs> I was talking to my friend Steve about our uh, thoughts on the movie, and. He said, there's a reason why humans don't use bowcasters. <laughs> you need the strength of a Wookiee because he said, if Han had actually shot that, it would have thrown him back about 30 feet. <laughs> so, <laughs> whatever. But, uh, yeah, that's what my friend said. And I guess he knows that from reading other books and stuff. Yeah, well, that's not canon anymore. So, J.J. Abrams changed the, the mechanics of the bowcaster, evidently. Mm. I guess so. So it's cool to see Han and Chewie and everybody kind of uh, get stuck into this fight, uh, especially for Ray when she like you know I mean it's an old gag, isn't it? Where it's like I've got a gun, I'll pull the trigger. Oh wait, safety's on. Yeah, That's an old. Yeah. G- that feels like the typical film gag you have to put in every time. It's the same as if someone goes to a microphone, it has to f- have a huge feedback before they talk. Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's cool to have her. She's at in one location, you know. Uh, you know, escaping a couple of stormtroopers uh, until we have that confrontation with uh, Kylo Ren. And we get to see his powers again where he is able to freeze her in a spot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, holds that, that lightsaber to her neck, as we see, very menacingly. But mm. even though BB-8 gets away, Kylo Ren is so confident in his power. You know, as we see earlier, he extracted information from Poe Dameron. So he figured, well, I'll just take Ray. She saw the map. So I have all the information that I need. Obviously, he, he'll try to, you know, extract that information and uh, and, mm. and get that missing piece of the puzzle that everyone is mm. is searching for. So uh, we, we next see Rey being interrogated, uh, kind of a, a callback to Leia being interrogated on the Death Star, but uh, mm. this time she's at Starkiller Base, and uh, that's where we get, as you mentioned before, about uh, Kylo Ren reading her mind and, and seeing that vision of the island, and also, you know, we see that she kind of had this admiration for... Uh, Han Solo, and he even offered her a job at one point, and she mm. was flattered, but no, she wanted to still stay home just in case, you know, her family comes back for her, and, mm. and a, a nice little line there where Kylo Ren's just like, you know, you, you wonder what he would be like as a father, and just like, no, he'd only disappoint you. Mm. But also, um, when he's reading her mind, you start getting, you know, when he's doing the same thing to her, oh, actually, wait, what, one thing he does, which Darth Vader didn't do when she's talking to him, he's saying, like, I don't talk to mon- yeah, faceless monsters, and he's like, Poop, takes off the helmet and talks over with, with just his normal face. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's different to Darth Vader. I mean, and that's the thing about it. It's like, he takes off the helmet and we finally get to see what he looks like. But he seems very, always on the edge of crying, I had a feeling. Like, you know, <laughs> like his voice was very, like the mask was there to stabilize his voice, to make it seem like he's a tough guy. But his normal voice seems like he's always on the edge of crying. Mm. And like his face looks like it's very pained. And like, you know, it seems like there's something within him which is, yeah, emotionally destroying him, but at the same time he's trying to keep this, you know, uh, image of a guy who's in charge and right. 
you know, a, a faceless being. So, you know, you don't see him crying. You don't see this look on his face. He's just like a, a force of nature. But yeah, so when he's using his powers to read her thoughts and she's at that point starting to block them. In the, in this weird way, she starts extrapolating information like talking about Darth Vader. Yeah. Saying that, you know, he is scared that he's not going to be as strong as him. And then you finally find out, it, you know, his plan failed. You know, he's not exactly strong as we all assume he'll be, you know, because he got the um, information from Poe, but he's not as, as strong as we believe him to be, as soon as when he comes off, uh, especially for the stuff that's been set up for Ray, right. saying Ray's Force-sensitive. Um, so, yeah, I find it interesting for that fact, and also knowing that, you know, he's Han Solo's son. Because remember back on the planet, when he sees, when Han Solo sees uh, Kylo Ren walking and carrying Ray. He doesn't do anything. He kind of stops and lets it happen, in a way. But he looks very... Like, he knows that something's awful is about to happen, or something awful is uh, on horizon. Because remember, Finn runs back, you know, trying to get... You know, yelling for Ray, And then he, he goes, I, 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 saw, I saw them. They, they, they took they took, a, they, they took Ray, And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, mm. he's like... He's, he's scared and dramatic and like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, it's like... Han has something else bigger on his mind about that. He's like, yeah, that's my kid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's walking through all this destruction, which is thanks to his child. So it's like, okay, this is, this is, this is bad. Yeah. Especially because when he finally has, um, I think it was a good time to have Leia turn up, uh, especially when you have the resistance fighters uh, turn up as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have this kind of, everything's been destroyed, but then the resistance turn up in a kind of uh, cavalry style dramatic turn. Yeah, you know, with that gliding across the water. Especially when you get that long shot where, like, you have Finn in the front watching as uh, Poe Dameron's, you know, X-Wing is blasting on that four different TIE fighters. Oh, beautiful shot. Yeah, it's like, it's panning across. As you see him, like, sw- you know, swinging around, gliding, shooting off uh, his shots and destroying uh, TIE fighters and then coming back down to swing right past camera. Yeah, that was so cool. Just to yeah. show, like, you know, he's the ace pilot that we all want. And Finn even shouting, like, that is a great pilot! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. He's, he's like, such the classic hero. Like, the classic, um, I guess, World War II style of uh, hero pilot. Yeah. It's like, all right, boys, let's do this. Especially some of these lines. Oh, and also, yeah, we get to see more of the X-Wing pilots. Yeah. We get introduced to the new style of X-Wing pilots. Uh, like, some of the aliens as well. Yeah, so, and, and Greg Grunberg. We, we were wondering what who Greg Grunberg mm. was going to be. It was funny because Sean and I uh, went to the Connecticut Comic Con this summer, and yeah. uh, he was there signing autographs. Not Sean, Greg Grunberg, and mm. uh, it, they were they were advertising, you know, from from the Force Awakens. And like, well, who's mm. he going to be? Well, we don't know. And you know, obviously, he wasn't talking, so it was kind mm. of interesting. Like, well, what are you signing pictures of? So it was like, I was wondering where he was going to show up, and yeah, he shows up as uh, part of this uh, squadron. Yeah, which, is, it's cool, because it's like the hero the, the hero pilots coming up, and you know, we finally get this reassurance that you know, we're going to see, well, we were, we're on the edge of seeing uh, what the Resistance looks like, and we know who's at the Resistance layer. And it's cool that when they have that kind of, um, the, the space shuttle lands, and it's kind of like, was it, when, in those romantic comedies where a guy's waiting for the girl to get off the train... Yeah, yeah. You know, there's like all these people, and it's like, oh, there she is. Uh, but it, it, it's so good for the fact, like they introduce two characters at the same time, where you have Hans there, he's like, you know, waiting for her, and then we see her, and she gets her, you know, familiar music, and then as soon as they're about to speak, we have that golden idiot who pops up again. <laughs> 
But that's the thing. It's like it stays in character to have C three P like hello, and he just slides into shot. Right, right. It's like, and that's the thing. It makes complete sense because Han Solo he wasn't exactly a fan of C three PO. But as, as soon as he pops up, you're like, oh god. You know, they weren't they weren't hanging on it too. They weren't weren't trying to be all dramatic. I mean, there was time for it, but they had to keep it very characteristic of the two characters of Han and Leia. And also, you know, how would you introduce C-3PO? He can't just be there. No, he has to be that that guy, that robot. He doesn't know. He he can't understand the, uh, you know, the, the emotional connection that the two have. To him, it's just like, oh, I know this guy. Hello, remember me? Yeah. So and it's he's, like, he's not like, now, not now. <laughs> he's like, oh, look at this arm. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, there's this dramatic moment where these two people haven't seen each other for a long time. And he's like, oh, Mr. Solo, uh, uh, Captain Solo. And then he's like, you wouldn't know, recognize me with this red arm. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we, we recognize you. Don't worry about the arm. And he's talking about, oh, I'll get it replaced soon. And then like when he looks back at Leia and looks back at Han, he's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll see you later. That was pretty funny, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Plus, also, you know, Han and Leia's confrontation uh, was typical to people who, they're familiar with each other and they're not you know, they're not trying to play off it as being too romantic, but also being in charge of a situation. Yeah. You know, they weren't like, oh, it's my love, my life, she's back. But it's like, we're in a war zone. We can't do that right now. Right. There's still love there between those characters. But, uh, you know, they're, the whole issue of the sun, you know, really drove them apart. And they kind of just needed to uh, focus on other things. And as they mentioned, it's, you know, doing what they know best. And for Han, that was his life of smuggling and being a pirate in space. And uh, for Leia, that was being that uh, that general, that uh, even royalty, as she's mentioned, uh, you mm. know, by some as. So uh, it was just kind of interesting how their life kind of diverged from that point with uh, Ben straying away, uh, who, you know, becoming Kylo Ren. And, uh, you know, finally they connect. And it's not adversarial. They're not mad at each other over them leaving. It, was, it seems pretty mutual. No, and... I like how they actually get to have a, I would say a couple of comments, like just for the audience, especially when he's like, you've changed your hair. <laughs> and, and, she, and she's like, you've got the same jacket. It's like, no, no, a new jacket. It's a new jacket. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's, you know, it's like the comments that any fan would say, like, oh, she's changed her hair again. Because, you know, she used to have the buns, now she's different. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Han Solo's got a different jacket rather than the blue jacket he had in maybe, you know, The Empire Strikes Back or maybe that vest he had in the first one. It's like, yeah, 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 we get it. <laughs> now, how did you guys think about uh, C-3PO's finish on the metal? It, it was, did it look a little dull to you? I, I thought he looked really shiny. Really? Did you? On I don't know. To me, it look, he didn't look shiny enough. I don't know. Maybe it was just uh, my viewing. I think he was. I think it was shiny enough. I guess I've learned from other movies. If you saw him in um, Revenge of the Sith, he was very shiny, right? Yeah. But uh, that wasn't 3D printed like this one is. The suit was like you know, it was a cast and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was kind of if you look at the Revenge of the Sith, there's kind of a difference between these upper torso arms and legs and the let's say the crotch piece of his outfit, which has to be that flexible, malleable kind of, I guess, uh, foam rubber. Yeah. Um. So I think you know he's. Not as shiny, but also at the same time, he's got that kind of typical age about himself. Plus, for camera reasons, he's not reflective. Right, so, right. Because you're, you're doing outside shots and, you know, if you had outside shots of lights bouncing off it. And also you have to avoid the camera crew as well, which involves a lot of time of just, you know, quickly going through scene by scene and detailing out the camera crew reflected and the lights, guys. Yeah. So I think he has the same sort of rust as, let's say, if he had a gold lighter. And then years down the track, it's still gold, yeah. but it's not reflectively shiny. So he has that kind of 
logical progression of agedness to him. I mean, okay. he lost his arm at some point, so yeah, maybe he sold it. I thought maybe we'd see a scene where he loses his arm and they have to just kind of improvise a new arm, but no, he just shows up with mm. it and kind of mentions like, yeah, oh, yeah, you know, I should probably get it replaced with a better part or something to that effect. It's kind of funny. I thought that was acceptable just because it's like, you know, he's aged, he's old. Sure. He, he you know, everyone's aged, everyone's gotten old, you know, and so, you know, you allow it to go because, you know, uh, we've, we've seen him destroyed and replaced bits and pieces of his body like um was it he had that silver leg remember after yeah. he destroyed and had to be put back together obviously they couldn't find that same leg again for yeah, Chewie yeah. to put him back together so they replaced him with um uh, another mechanoid's leg uh, but yeah that interaction between Han and Leia was still keeping where they were in their life especially when he tells her that you know he saw their son and then we cut back to Ray being interrogated. Yeah. And uh, after realizing that she can resist his power, he moves off to... Was he goes to talk to... No, we go back to the base and they start talking about the battle plans. Yeah. Now, before that, I just want to ask what you guys thought about this scene where, you know, Kylo's trying to interrogate her and he figured it would be just as easy as it was with Poe, but she's resisting and she's starting to almost, you know, read elements of his thoughts. Sean had a, a big problem with this where she started to have that force awaken even more within her and now she's able to do the jedi mind trick on that stormtrooper sean tended to believe what paul was saying earlier that maybe she had some jedi training in her youth to even know what the jedi mind trick is or do you think this was possibly oh wait a minute my eyes are being opened to this whole new ability i wonder if this will work if i just you know make this suggestion will it work and then just kind of feeling it out. And of course it doesn't right away, but then it does. So how did you guys feel about this whole thing where she becomes a full-fledged Jedi almost with her ability to use the Force on people's minds? Yeah, I mean, I can see how people have a problem with it. Uh, I did hear some reviews where people talked about, like, it took Luke, you know, years to master some of these things, and she's just picking stuff up left and right. Yeah, I think that either she has had training that, like I said, was either wiped from her or or somehow she's forgotten. She's predestined to have these abilities. Or she heard stories about what Jedi could do. And so as she's learning that, hey, this was a real thing and that was real, she's calling this to mind and being like, well, let me try it out. But before we hear from uh, Hamish on his thoughts of that, did you hear who played this stormtrooper that she mind tricks? Yes, it was Daniel Craig. I did not know that until Hamish told me before we recorded. I didn't even think, I, you know, I totally forgot about Daniel Craig. I just, uh, and, and the voice didn't make the, for some reason I didn't make the connection. But that, that's great. That was awesome. It's because he said, like, a year ago, he said, like, because Simon Pegg was in the film, and there's some other actors popping up, he, they said, like, oh, Daniel Craig has been rumored to be in the film, and they asked him, it's like, oh, yeah, I play a stormtrooper. And people kind of fobbed it off, thinking, like, oh, yeah, you play a stormtrooper, you in that <laughs> face, yeah, right, you're just under a suit. No, he was, because as soon as I heard the voice, I think it's when he said, like, um, what was it, scavenger scum? It's like, yeah. scavenger, I said, I'll tighten those in scavenger scum. I was like, wait, wait a minute, because the thing is, because um, Spectre came out, you know, not too long ago. It's still fresh in my mind. And plus, he has that very distinct voice. Because if, uh, if you saw him in um, that Tintin film, that's him. That's, that's how I recognize his voice as well. Okay. Playing, um, the bad guy in that film as well. Uh, which, strange enough, Andy Serkis was in that film as well. Uh, hmm. I mean, he's the motion capture guy now. But that's the thing. He, as soon as I heard the voice, like, what? That, that's Daniel Craig. And that's the thing. I, I was too distracted by that. Where, like, you know, she's using the force powers. But, um... Yeah, that was uh, Daniel Craig, which they've uh, picked up a lot in the media at the moment. But, um, yeah, my thoughts on that, 
situation of her using the powers, I'd believe it was kind of when when they had the confrontation with Carla Rennie's, you know, reading her mind, and she was picking up certain information, and also because she picked up the lightsaber. I say there's something maybe within her that's been programmed, not programmed like a robot, but something that maybe Luke Skywalker did like a mind meld, we'll say, and left with all these pieces of information, all this training within her mind, and she's been awoken to it now. Yeah. We keep saying awoken and awakened, aren't we? But um, <laughs> that makes I'm, sense. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm assuming. Like she had this, she had this ability because remember she uh, she was thinking in her dreams that she could see an island. So I say Luke Skywalker gave her all this training in her mind, like he had the location, he had all these things just in case you know something would happen. But also for the fact that you know she's slowly starting to have these things unravel because remember she had the uh, X-wing pilot toy that she made. She had a X-wing helmet. She touched the lightsaber, and it woke in a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm assuming with this kind of mind meld between her and the uh, other character of Kylo Ren, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe she saw things within him and his training and his life, and you know, they started to realize that maybe I could do these things because the thing is, it didn't work at first when she tried it. Right. Yeah. She said she said in a very casual manner to the stormtrooper, and she's like, "You'll uh, loosen these restraints and let me go." Yeah. Uh, and he was like, and leave with the door open. Yeah, and he's like, what'd you say? And he walks over and was like, I'm going to tighten those restraints. <laughs> and yeah, you, you scavenger scum. That's one of the things I remember, just the scavenger scum. It's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, like it didn't work at first. And then you're thinking, oh, she's just clutching at straws. And then she's like, stops for a second and was like, okay. And then like, you know, her voice changes to like, you know, focus a little bit more. Like, you will loosen these things. And then there's that pause where it's like, is it going to really work? And it does. I just like that, you know, it, it finally takes over the stormtrooper and then she, you know, as he's walking away and she's like and you'll drop your weapon and I'll drop my weapon yeah that was a great moment <laughs> and then he just wanders off uh, yeah that was I, I accept that part just for the fact that it seems like she had to trust herself a little bit more you know she's like had like at first it's like you can't just say the lines to people you can't just get them to do things you can't you know just say it you have to work something within yourself to use it and it's right. good that you know she, she uh, tested it out in that particular stormtrooper but yeah, I think my comment on it, because I didn't want to spoil for anybody, was um, on Twitter was like, um, James Bond's mind is weak. Oh, okay. I'm glad I, glad yeah. I wasn't reading your tweets. I, I didn't read any tweets that day. You don't read my tweets? I can't believe you. Oh, I mute you. Are you kidding? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's the thing, again, with the spoilers. I didn't want to spoil it, but it was just pretty juicy. Yeah. And she didn't wave her hand either. You know, that's something no. we've always seen done. But uh, yeah, didn't, not required. So, I mean, regardless of what actually happened, I, I think we can all agree something unlocked in her mind, whether it was repressed memory or whether it was the force or, you know, something from touching the lightsaber, something unlocked within her. You know, the missing piece of, of her map, shall we say, for her life, you know, was uh, was found at that moment. So uh, that was kind of a, an interesting moment. And Kylo Ren, you know, knew exactly what was happening and even mentioned, like, uh, you know, as she escaped, the, the longer it takes to find her, the more dangerous she'll become. And uh, that certainly was the was the case. Mm. So now we see this mission uh, to go to the Starkiller base. Uh, Han Solo, Chewbacca, and Finn. Uh, Finn makes it sound like, oh, you know, he has all this expertise and knowledge of the, of the Starkiller base, so he, he can go in there and help them. This was, of course, all a ruse because he really wanted to to help rescue Rey. And he'll say whatever he needs to get a mission over there to, to rescue her. Mm. Also, there was the um, reconnection of Poe Dameron. Remember, he meets back at the base. He's like, "What? You're alive!" Oh yeah, that was a great moment too. Yeah. Yeah, and he, he's like, "Oh, you got my jacket." He's like, "Oh, do you want it back?" He's like, "No, no, no. Looks good on you." Like he's such a cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> but 
But Demeron's just this cool guy. He's like, that's his jacket. And it's like, we all have our favorite jacket. And then it's like, no, no, no. He's like, what happened? You're like, you, I didn't find you in a crash. Which assumes like maybe Poe like, you know, got out and there's this whole other adventure that he did. Like, you know, he got out, couldn't find Finn. Or Finn was unconscious for longer than we assume. Mm. But I remember, there was, remember when um, they crashed on those TIE fighters and uh, those scavengers? quickly went off and started scavenging. Yeah, for a split second you see it. They just run up right right as the pieces fall, yes. Yeah, so I'm assuming maybe the scavengers found him and they took him away to somewhere else. Because that's the, that's, that's the way I'm assuming it. Because like, some people said, oh, because apparently he was supposed to die originally. This, this only recently came out in the last two days. Oh, where, wow. Uh, they talked to him saying his character was going to die and like in his first meeting with it, they were talking to Oscar Isaac about it, saying, yeah, in his meeting he was going to be in the film as an X-Wing pilot, the, the ace pilot, but then he dies. And he's like, oh, oh, okay, so it'll just be a cameo. And then, like, it was like a week later, he texted him back saying, don't worry about it, you're going to make it, you're going to be in the entire film. I figured it out. Well, that's good. Yeah, and so that's the thing. It's like with Poe Dameron's character, you can s- assume with the scavengers, maybe he was found by scavengers after they both crashed out of the ship and, you know, he was taken to safety uh, while Finn was left there to roast these armor. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> but yeah, I like how they reconnect and you get to see a little bit more of Poe Dameron being like, hey, buddy, how you going? And he's, and he's so happy to see the guy, especially you get his robot back and also, you know, you see the guy's okay. And it's weird because it's like, you know, I haven't known this guy for too long, but you're really happy that he's alive. Yeah, and well, they made that connection early on, and, you know, they they both know mm. that they are, you know, good people. He even mentions, you know, like, you're a good man, and uh, and mm. they saved each other's life, essentially, so. Yeah, and so, yeah, I, I guess there's an affinity for anyone who watches his back as his best friend in the whole world. Uh, but, yeah, it's cool that they have that reconnection scene, and you can see that, you know, Poe's, like, this really cool guy. <laughs> yeah. Especially when he brings the information, he's like, oh, we got this, all this information now. And we can connect it up and we can, you know, work out a way of getting in there. And yeah, when Finn again lies and says, oh yeah, I, I know how it works. And then, you know, we get, no, but, oh, duh, there's so much stuff to talk about. Sorry, I'm getting my brain in different directions. <laughs> um, again, you have that kind of mission briefing thing to work out how to stop a Death Star or uh, this one, the Sarkiller base. There's always one point of vulnerability. They're always going to have one. There's always one. And remember the guy who gave him that information who says, like, guys, there's a shield. Who was that? Admiral Akbar. Yeah. The guy from that long off planet, far, far away, for the Mon Calamarian people. He's 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 racist still around. And well that's that's actually him according to IMDB. It's the same guy thirty years later. Yeah, that's what I assume. So I didn't know the like, you know you see that because I saw it in the trailers and bits piece, you see this uh, Mon Calamarian uh there and I was like, Oh, it's probably somebody else. It's probably just another one that is doing it as a throwback. But no, it's actually him. Yeah. It's actually Admiral Akbar. And the thing is, he wasn't saying that one thing that we assumed he was going to say. <laughs> I imagine it would, it would be weird for him saying that, like, guys, I think this could be a trap. Yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would have, that would have been, been really in the nose. But no, it looks like he's very much still in the nose. He's like, there's got to be a shield. Actually, no, he mentions a shield. Because last time when they were shooting at it, the shield was still off. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so he's very wary of shields. But yeah, I like that. Um, you had that. Uh, another scene of them all getting together and talking about you know what they could do and they, again it's another briefing mission scene like we had in the other one and then Finn lies but you know, when they get on the planet but uh, I like how we actually get to see different usages of the Millennium Falcon how he's like alright what we're gonna do is this we're gonna fly at light speed and land it's like you're a ballsy pirate yeah yeah which is cool because it's like that's he's very casual about it too he's like we're gonna do this and then make an approach <laughs> and, and that's like yeah that makes sense. That's the Han Solo plan. Of course. 
Yeah, just do it. All of these things are so true to character, and I, I think that's, you know, just mm. beautifully done. Uh, nothing uh, was like, oh, really? Why this? I, I think it, mm. they stayed pretty consistent. And, you know, obviously they, they felt they had that duty to the fans to bring them something that, that made more sense than uh, the last three movies we were given. So mm. I, I think they did a, a very good job with that. Mm. But I like, yeah, as soon as you get on the planet and it's revealed that, you know, they're on this ice section of um, the uh, circular base. I mean, it's revealed that Finn was actually a sanitation officer, yeah. which I, I <laughs> laughed out loud because it's, it's just such a good gambit, especially uh, Han Solo's reaction. But I'm a fan of Red Dwarf. Mm-hmm. So as soon as like, wait, he has like the same job as Lister yeah, from yeah. Red Dwarf. <laughs> Like yeah, that was, that made me laugh out loud because like oh my god, that's ridiculous. It's like because it feels like yeah yeah he's a glorified sanitation officer, which is the same realm as a red dwarf with um Lister. And so I was like oh my god, that's insane. But um yeah, I I thought it was funny how they quickly get this uh, self onto the base and you know Chewie's complaining that's cold. Yeah, that was great. Basically, get into the base and Ray's escaped, and she's. Uh, they're both in different areas of uh, Starkiller Base. Yes, and, and th- from this point, they f- confront Captain Phasma, and uh, you know, just uh, <laughs> an interesting scene here. She was so prominently featured in the the trailer, and you know, toys and figures were coming out, you know, of Captain Phasma, and you figured mm. she would have a bigger role, but uh, no, actually, she's captured. She's uh, forced, uh, you know, to uh, to lower the shields. She tells them, you know, like you know, that they'll never succeed or something to that effect, and mm. uh, they pretty much dispose of her uh, in a garbage chute or a compactor. Uh, now, Gwendolyn Christie signed a, a multi-picture deal, so we know mm. she's going to be uh, in future movies, and we know she mm. escapes the destruction of the Starkiller base. But uh, mm. it, a great moment here, too, where, where Finn was like, I'm in charge, Phasma, I'm in charge. And he's like, all right, tone it down. <laughs> yeah, I like that with Hans going like, all right, just dial it back in. But like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, if you're a guy who's been forced to do things and that you don't want to do and, you know, you hate the boss, and it's like, yeah, I'm the guy, I'm in charge. Yeah. He, he, literally, he literally has that kind of, uh, I guess that's the blending of those two kind of uh, writing styles from the original trilogy that we believe that everyone has a certain... I know if you look at the original trilogy, it has a certain flavor of writing. Mm-hmm. The characters speak, and there's certain ways that they uh, react to each other. And it's a very classical way that they did it. And nowadays, it's like you can have a very casual approach. And that's what he was. He's like this guy going, "Yeah, I'm in charge." Yeah, yeah. He's so hyped about it, which, which, which um, would be like anybody at his age, being a, a kid who's been you know forced and pushed around. And he's like, "No, no, I'm in charge now." Huh? Yeah. It's like you know, you haven't won yet, kid. Just calm down. Right. Exactly. Yeah, but at least, you know, Han Solo gets a little bit more more of a um, character to tell him to shut up. Yeah, that was so great. So so wonderfully yeah. done. Now we get a scene where they're going to uh, put these charges uh, inside to, to create some sort of explosion. And it's going to be underneath this one vulnerable point where the X-Wings will then go in and, and bomb. And hopefully that'll set off a chain reaction that will destroy the whole base. Uh, in the meantime, though, while they're doing this, uh, Han Solo confronts Kylo Ren, his son on this uh, kind of like a, a footbridge across a big pit in the yeah, middle of the base. Okay. Uh, like some sort of long gantry or something like that. Yeah, very reminiscent of Bespin. Of course, this is a, a father and son, uh, you know, somebody from the dark side uh, talking to a relative. This is all too familiar. And uh, there's a moment here where Han Solo yells out, Ben! You know, and just stops him in his tracks. This is where the first time that we hear that his name was Ben, 
we we knew that you know he's the son, and like we know there's a confrontation. But again, when the scene started, it's like, all right, Han Chewie are gonna put the you know bombs there, and then we'll probably cut to something else and cut back and forth. But then like the structure of the scene changed, and because I've seen so many films, or if you've seen enough films, and it started going longer and longer. Where Chewie was like going, you know, I'll go up here, you go down there. He's like, oh yeah, sure, I'll go down here, you go up there, we'll sort out. It's a better plan. Yeah. And you know, you see him actually walking to a location, putting the bomb down. Walk to a location, put the bomb down, and we seem to be lingering on them a mm. little bit longer and longer. And you start going, oh, what's going on? Here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you know, every one of those situations when you're lingering on characters, you're like, something's happening, and then it cuts to Kylo Ren who's walking to the exact same. Uh, part of the Starkiller base where they are, and he's like, "Find them." Yeah. And you know, at this time, um, was it Ray and Finn? They've all they both found each other off somewhere else. Yeah. And another thing I wanted to bring out is a great moment where they are looking for Ray, and then Han kind of just like you know makes a motion with his head, pointing in the direction mm. behind Finn, and you know Finn's like, "Oh, what does that mean? Why why are you doing this?" And of course they look, and there's Ray crawling around on the inside yeah. of the, the Starkiller base. And all I could think of is, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi crawling around on the Death Star, escaping the notice of the stormtroopers. Just a, you know, beautiful mm. uh, callback, just by image, not by words or anything. It's just uh, uh, so wonderfully done. And this also shows that she's very capable, too. Oh, yes, you know, very she's, much so. She's, she's there doing things for herself. She's uh, sorting stuff out. But, um, yeah, you go back to that scene, and then you have Han confronting his son, and also at the same time, you have Chewie watching down from that midway point, and at the highest point, because remember, they're absorbing the power of the sun at the same time, you have Finn and Ray turn up, yes. and the doors open, and there's that shaft of light between the two uh, father and so- the father and son. There's that shaft of light that comes down to show you that the sun is slowly being absorbed, but also, this is the spotlight moment, Yeah, you know? Yep. And so, yeah, when Han's talking to him, he's like, I want to see the face of my son. He's like, what do you see? I was like, no, he's like, take off that mask. Yeah, he says, you don't need it. And, and it's true. It's it's something he, he's so devoted to the memory of Darth Vader that he even wears mm. this mask that alters his voice. Darth Vader had mm. it, obviously, as part of his life support system, but Kylo Ren wears it just, uh, you know, because he wants to model himself after Darth Vader. And he can take it off at will, and, you know, he's a, a normal, healthy person underneath. Hmm. And that's, you know, when Han tells him to take off, he's like, I'll see the face of my son. Yeah. And he does, and he obliges, and then you see this... It's funny, as soon as he gets rid of that uh, mask, because remember before, in, before this scene, he had to go and talk to Snoke about, you know, his... Uh, mind reading ability didn't work that she resisted mm. she was everybody was strong with the force and yeah again that's kind of um a harking back to like you know talking about how luke is strong with the force and he has a potential you know when darth vader's talking to the emperor about it so yeah when he talks to snoke about it and then he says like he's a complete his training but anyway he go you had that scene where he takes the mask and again because he has that pained look on his face as this, as this shaft of light and is you know uh, over both of them and he's talking about how it's pain because he ha- knows that this next part he has to do, and that's the thing they they allow it, even though we don't want to believe it, we're we're allowed to believe that there's something else that has to happen, you know. Where he's like maybe you know uh, Han will kill off Kylo Ren, but yeah, thanks to some of the trailers, I wouldn't say ruin it. We know there's a lightsaber battle coming <laughs> coming down the track, right, right. But um, yeah, it's like one of those things like you can't you don't want to believe it, but you you know it's going to happen. Where he says like you know there's something I need to do. And I don't know if I can do it because he he says he's being torn apart. So there's like two sides within himself, right? Um, you know, forcing his hand or destroying whatever is inside himself. And you know, we, you know, Han Solo is confronting his son and knowing that there's something huge happening. And he's about and he hands over the lightsaber, 
they they get hold of, and then the then at that moment, this is just for cinematography where like the sun is slowly absorbed, and then everything just goes red. Mm-hmm. It's a good. I know it's the most it's the most dramatic moment of the scene, uh, and yeah, you could say it's a little bit a little bit too dramatic in some way where it's like you have this light and then as soon as you know that the sun is absorbed and everything goes black and there's only red you know that it's over for Han Solo yeah. and that it's not going to happen the way we want it to happen and then yeah we lose Han Solo now Paul what was the reaction in your theater for this moment I don't think there was a audible reaction um, I didn't really notice that I myself was feeling a lot of tension at that moment I felt I knew what was coming as soon as Han saw Kylo Ren and like dwelled on that and you saw him like getting ready to call out to him. I was like, this is not going to end well, you know, and then he confronts him and when Ren is saying, you know, there's something I have to do, I knew he wasn't talking about something he has to do to turn back to the light side. It was to to kill his father, to kind of make his journey to the dark side complete almost. But when it happened, I was so mad. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I hate Kylo Ren. I'm never going to wear this t-shirt again that's featuring him. (laughs) (laughs) Because seriously, I mean, if you think about it, like, what is the worst thing that Darth Vader ever did in the original movies? Like, he cut off Luke's hand, and he killed Big Darklighter and a few other pilots that we didn't really know or care about. He also killed Obi-Wan. Yeah, but... (laughs) Obi-Wan survived that. Like, Han's not coming back as a Force ghost, you know? Like, this is the end of Han Solo. True, but that's the thing about it. Because he's not... Like, Han Solo isn't a magical character. He hasn't got amazing training. Yeah, when that scene was coming towards it, it's like, I know it's got something... It's going to happen. But also, at the same time, there's no way to stop it. Because remember, we saw at the beginning of it, Kylo uh, Ren can stop blaster bolts. So even if Chewie fired, if anyone tr- fired, he would have stopped it. Yeah, And that you know, killing Han Solo, and then, you know, he, he... Basically, again, it's the same sort of thing where you kill a, a high-profile actor, like Alec Guinness dying in the first Star Wars. This is Han Solo, uh, Harrison Ford, dying and falling like Luke did. But yeah, it's it's the same thing where it's like, the only person with power here is Kylo Ren. He can stop anything, and there's no other direction. Especially at the end of it, where uh, at, at the end of when he dies, and there's that scream of no, and, you know... I felt really sad. I mean, obviously you feel sad, but I felt sad for Chewie. Where it's yeah. like Chewie's best, Chewie's best friend is gone, and that you know that kind of camaraderie that we liked is gone forever. And how's he? Like he had the, was he had a blood oath to you know Han Solo. That's right. He's out of his his life debt. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even he's, think he's, of he's, that. Yeah, his life debt. But that's the thing. It's like his life debt was to Han Solo, and now he's gone. It's like, is he free? And then he decides to stay because that's the thing. Like you get this. Strangely enough, you get a good character development for Chewie. Yeah. Because at the end, at the end of it, he comes to comes to save them. You know, save Finn and Ray, and that's it. It's his choice. It's his, it's his journey as well. Where it's like he's now your your guys are my responsibility, because yeah, that's the thing. It's it's interesting for Chewie himself. But yeah, I, I when you see Han die, it's like beforehand when he was going to do this mission, you see there's Leia and himself, and he hugs Leia, and you get the sense that he thinks he's never going to come back. Yeah, and it's true, and she accepts it, especially when he dies. She you know, you go back to her on the base, and she's just un- like completely unhappy. She feels like it. she's, yeah, she's she's felt it. And I mean, you know, even though Han didn't have the Force, she felt him him die or Kylo Ren give in further to the dark side. Yeah, 
But that's the thing, like, you know, that's the thing with Han Solo. It's like, you knew that there was no way out of this, and his choice to do this was his own choice, and he knew that he had to do this. He was like, he took the biggest chance to try and save his son, or see whatever's left of his son, and then he paid for it. Yeah. Because that's the thing, he was hiding, and Kylo Ren didn't see him, or didn't feel him. He just knew he was there. And so when he stepped out to do this, it's like, he knew that this was the end for him. Yeah. And that, you know, I, I guess even for Han Solo, he knew that he probably was going to die. And that this is his only chance to talk to his son and see if there's anything left of the son that he loved. And that this death was was bound to happen. Because that's the thing. Like, you know, I think he knew this death was going to happen. He knew there's no other way out of it. And that he knew that even if he escaped all this, uh, he his life was still going to be stuck thinking of whatever happened to his son. And he'd be running constantly. Mm. You know, trying to escape the fact that this destruction, all this death... All the, remember, the planets that were destroyed were because of him. Right. And that's the thing. It's like, how would you live with a responsibility if your son became the the biggest villain the galaxy has seen, or the next villain the galaxy has seen? You couldn't live with yourself. You can't keep escaping it for so long. So I guess he knew that this death was going to happen, and that you know he couldn't live with himself ever... I mean, you can't. You, there's, it's impossible to go, oh, everything will be fine. Like, no, because after the plants get destroyed thanks to the Starkiller base, it's like, this is my responsibility. All these people have died because of me. And so he, had to, he took a chance. Yeah. And, I mean, it's fitting for the character and what we learned he became and what, you know, the consequences yeah. of maybe his neglect, uh, obviously not directly responsible, but like you said, you know, it, it's somehow connected and somehow maybe even felt at fault. And uh mm. You know, I, I just, I wish Han Solo didn't have the life that they gave him over the past 30 years. You know, you kind of hoped that he, the events of the original trilogy kind of made a new life for this guy that just grew up being a pirate and a smuggler and knew nothing else. And it was kind of unfortunate mm. and uh, kind of sad. But you knew on a, on a real level, you know, Harrison Ford probably didn't want to be in for, you know, six, seven pictures, whoever, you know, who knows how many yeah. pictures. He probably yeah. was like, you know what, I'll come back. Everyone else is back. I'll, I'll do this movie. Let's wrap up this character and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give him a, a proper send-off, I guess. And several people had talked about that uh, Harrison Ford actually thought that Han Solo should die at the end of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I remember him talking about that. And someone even said that he had thought that he should have died at the end of Empire. So it seems like he was, has been constantly trying to kill Han Solo off. And he probably said, like, I'm in for one more, but that's it. So figure that out, you know. Yeah. Into the sunset with the Falcon and Chewie, or he dies. Okay, so after Han Solo unfortunately dies, he falls. And I always like, well, I was telling Sean, I kind of hold out hope. You never know. You, you see Han Solo fall, and you don't see a body. You know, maybe there's a... There's hope for him yet, but, you know, obviously, uh, it's it's not going to happen. <laughs> I, I don't know what you want to see. If you want to see a, a mangled corpse that's landed in a pile of rubbish or something like that, I, ugh. maybe he'll come back as a robot. I think a medical droid found him. Uh, he he landed on the reserve of pillows and in the laundry room at the bottom <laughs> uh, that the stormtroopers were using. A medical droid found him and just, you know, fixed him up, patched the hole. And uh, he accidentally got uh, on one of those escape pods that was leaving uh, just before Starkiller Base was destroyed. So uh, look for a uh, CGI Harrison Ford in uh, episodes 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. No, thank you. <laughs> so anyway, at, the, at seeing you know his best friend die, Chewie fires on Kylo Ren, who obviously wasn't focused enough to stop that. And uh, he did you know, get hit pretty well. We'll, we'll see later on. It, mm. it did uh, you know, bother him. 
And uh, mm. he had that detonator in his hand. So uh, Chewbacca set off that chain reaction of explosions. The squadron outside sees, you know, that they got some help from the inside. And the, as far as they knew, you know, Finn's expertise paid off and the plan was working. <laughs> so they bomb that area. And yes, it, 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 it works. They hit that point of vulnerability. Meanwhile, outside, we see Kylo Ren uh, confront Rey, pushing her into a tree and kind of knocking her out. And Finn, now being the brave one, takes that lightsaber and begins to have this lightsaber duel. And this is what we saw in the trailer. This was even more reason for Paul and I, as we were talking before, to think that, yeah, well, Finn is going to be the next Jedi. Mm, that's true. But it's a good misdirect. And I think the the turnaround for what really is going to happen is good. But also, it's the level playing field that they allow. I mean, like, yeah, Chewie shoots... Kylo Ren, but and he didn't block it, obviously because well he killed his father. So there's a little bit of a, a gap between understanding what you've done yeah. for like a, a huge thing, killing your own father and falling deeper into this dark side. Uh, and you know, Chewie gets a shot. We know that gun is really powerful too. But also Kylo Ren is injured, so it isn't uh, an 100 percent even ground battle because yeah. you know Kylo Ren's you know still grabbing his side. He just wants to get this lightsaber. Again, that's why I think about the artifacts. That he's powered by the artifacts, and he needs the bloodline of um, the Skywalker to really enhance his powers. Or maybe he needs it because he needs to escape it and use the light side. But anyway, there's that fight with Finn, and again, it's one man knows how to fight, and another man who's barely keeping up. And that's the thing I was thinking as you watch the fight. And it's a good fight, too. It's not a choreographed spitting, kicking, and all that craziness that we've seen before. Yes. It's a it's a realistic fight of an injured man who has training and, and another man who's fighting for uh, just to stay alive, basically, with protection. Because, you know, it's like, how are you going to get out of this situation? You know, you, you're, on a, you're on a space station which is going to blow up and you have to get out of this situation. So, you know, it, it, it leveled the playing field. Yeah, pretty much ever since we first saw the lightsaber and mm. we saw that it was calling to uh, Ray and not Finn, I realized the misdirect and that Finn was just kind of holding it for her until she was ready for it. And as far as the fight goes, Kylo Ren could have still used the Force to easily kill Finn, I think, because, I mean, obviously he threw Ray with it. But I think he just liked the challenge, you know. I mean, he probably hasn't dueled anyone with a lightsaber in a long time, if not ever. You know, maybe in training they covered that some. But, you know, he probably just enjoyed being able to do that instead of just, like, force choke someone and take what he wanted. Mm, mm. And, and this battle goes on for a while, and we could see him really starting to uh, kind of gain the upper hand on Finn. We even see those little little uh, lightsabers that come off the hilt come into play as he starts to burn Finn's shoulder. You know, that was like I was happy they actually had some purpose in this movie. It's kind of funny. So Kylo is able to you know kind of take out Finn, and at this point, you know, Ray is uh, the one that that wakes up, and and uh, we see a great moment here where you you notice that she's trying to summon the lightsaber that's stuck in the snow at the same time that Kylo Ren is. And all I could think of is the Empire Strikes Back when uh, Luke is trying to use the Force, you know, to uh, to summon the lightsaber uh, to uh, protect him from the, the Wampa attack. And uh, just mm. uh, another great callback that's so subtle that uh, you, you might miss it the first time. And uh, mm. it, we, here we get Kylo Ren fighting right. Now, what did you think of this lightsaber duel? I love this. Uh, this was probably my favorite part of the movie. Uh, when she takes that lightsaber and, you know, tries to protect Finn 
and says that he could teach her. And then she comes to the realization, hey, I could use the force now. And just that whole scene with the the colors of the blades on their faces and even the reflection of them in their eyes. And then, you know, she starts fighting back and, and beating them pretty badly. Yeah. Just that whole part was really cool. I don't know if you thought of the same thing I did, Paul, but when I saw them fighting in the dark with the, the colors of their lightsabers, I kept thinking of uh, Gendy Tartakovsky's direction in the Clone Wars cartoon when Anakin fought the Asajj mm. Ventress in the dark, and you could see like yeah. the, the red and the, the blue, the red and the blue, and it was just just so great to see uh, an- another version of that, so to speak. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well, because that Clone Wars series was amazing. Yeah. It really, I, I really wish it went longer. Um, yeah, it's the same thing because we've seen lightsaber bells before, but also having the darkness of the location that they're fighting in, um, obviously all these effects, but it had that kind of, the glow from the lightsabers being a callback to like, yeah, re- the return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. where you have basically just color and light, uh, obviously displaying the fact that, you know, you have the dark side and light side, but yeah, it, it looked really good for that fight sequence. Uh, yeah, especially when you have again, Ray kind of accepting and believing more in the force i mean like i guess her options were very limited to when she's like you know backed against the cliff edge and you know gonna be cut up yeah but you know with carla ren's thing is like you know he offers like you should be trained like you need a teacher i can show you the ways of the force and she's like wait a minute and yeah when she clicks over i th- yeah that was really great because like she had to put all her faith in it because there's no other option it's either death yeah or use the force and that's like when she finally put her faith into it, and she, you know she's able to rise above and slash at his face. But I'm glad they didn't kill him. They didn't kill Kaloran off. No. And then you know they does that whole I guess uh, the imagery, the dramatic breaking of two worlds or breaking of the world as you know they both get separated by a huge chasm. Yeah. Which represents a chasm of you know the the two different ideologies I would believe mm-hmm. uh, as they get separated, and then you know we find Ray and Finn, and they're like. There's no other, like oh, Finn's underground injured, severely injured, and then there's uh, Ray who has no other option, doesn't know where to go, and then you see the Millennium Falcon turn up again, doing its hero moment at the end of a film, but this time it's just piloted by Chewie, right? Yeah. Who you know it, it's again it's, I feel for his character, feel for Chewie who's lost his friend, and now it's like you know he could have just left or he could have just you know thrown himself into the middle of you know hell, but it seems like his responsibility is now to those two. Yeah, interesting and. And even, yeah. just going back to when Ray decides to use the force, it, it almost doesn't click in her head until he says the word force. You know, he's like, I can show mm. you the ways of the force. I, again, not saying dark side, but the force, you know, to him, this is what the force is. But to her, you know, it's, it means something completely different. And that kind of like made her remember, oh yeah, you know, I, I remembered I can do these things. And she kind of has that moment of clarity where she just closes her eyes and then she opens them, you know, and then she's able to to uh, get some couple good hits on him. And then, d- does she cut off his hand? Did I see that correctly? No, he just slashed his face. Okay, because I, I thought next to him on the on the ground, I thought you could see uh, another piece of black material. I, I wasn't sure if she was able to to cut off his hand. No, I, again, I think they avoided the whole hand slash okay. thing, because you've seen it before. But uh, no, he gets slashed in the face, and he dropped to the ground, and his like, outfit was a little bit burnt up, and he dropped his lightsaber. Yeah, no... One thing we've been kind of skipping over as we were going through the movie here is Supreme Leader Snoke. Now, after this scene with the the lightsaber duel, where Rey, Finn, and Chewbacca escape on the Millennium Falcon, they're able to get to safety. Uh, As the Starkiller base is collapsing in on itself and and starting to be destroyed, Hux goes into this room that they've been going into from time to time. It's almost like this uh, Imperial throne room where this holographic projection 
of Supreme Leader Snoke is, you know, uh, projected on uh, <laughs> onto this, like, big chair. IMAX system. It's like an IMAX Yeah, setup, exactly. Right? It's weird that it got, it, the hologram got bigger. Yeah. It, it's kind of like I was saying to Sean, it's like, it's such a power move, like, oh, I'm going to project myself huge. I, I was laughing. I, I, <laughs> it'd be funny if when we finally do see Snoke in real life, if he's like, you know, like two feet tall, he's like really little. And uh, he's <laughs> just projecting himself really big, like another Yoda-like character. Uh, but we've been kind of going past the this character of Snoke. What do you guys think of him? What, what did you think when you first saw him? I guess it was kind of what I was expecting. Um, I had seen something about him being a very large character, um, and I'm glad that I don't think he's really that large in real life, because as another reviewer said, I don't really want to see Luke fighting this guy, this 30-foot-tall individual with his lightsaber. But uh, it it was pretty much uh, what I was expecting, I'd say. And then, of course, when we saw that it was a projection, because I was a little happy about that, that it wasn't an actual huge giant that they were talking to in person. Yeah, true. I was in the same uh, area where I was like, I was thinking, like, this, this can't be like the real guy. It can't be this huge, monstrous man. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad it was just a projection. But yeah, it, it was very familiar of having um, the Emperor Palpatine kind of character. Even though his character, his character is uh, very alien. Uh, has a humanoid kind of look to him, but he has this kind of huge scar or break in his face, yeah. head, which is really off-putting. I don't know how he functions as a human being. Uh, but no, I I, I assumed that you know with this kind of character, he would follow in that kind of Emperor Palpatine kind of steps. But you know, it was I I like that we still don't know too much about him, right? Yeah, but he has. But the ending was kind of very Doctor Clawish, where it's like we'll get them next time. Yeah. Get him you know, t- <laughs> Well, yeah, get Kylo Ren. Let's go. You know, it, it's very much, will he have to escape? So I'm, I'm hoping that Donald Gleason's character is still alive. And um... He is, because they mentioned, they meant, one of the guys was like, well, let's get out of here. Like, even Hux is left. So we can assume General Hux is safe, Phasma's safe, mm. and Kylo Ren is safe. And, you know, these will be the, you know, the cornerstones of the First Order going forward anyway. Mm. Going back to uh, Supreme Leader Snoke, Sean is convinced that it's Darth Plagueis, the, the Sith Master that trained... Uh, Palpatine and the one that Palpatine mentions in episode three, not to reference a prequel again, but uh, the one that he says, you know, that he was obsessed with learning about how to use the dark side of the force to gain immortality. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it'd be, it'd be interesting because I was trying to think like, oh, I wonder if this is somebody that we've seen before. And I keep, I kept trying to think like, who got hit in the head? Who got hit in the top of the head? And I, you know, I, I have no <laughs> idea, but uh, be interesting to see. Do you know who got hit in the top of the head? It was that stormtrooper in the first Star Wars. So that's oh, who man. he is. Oh, no. That is awesome. That's, that's, <laughs> that's who the guy is. Uh, Emperor Snoke is actually that one stormtrooper who smacked his head into the door, got a massive crack in his skull, <laughs> and he's like, oh, guys, guys, i gotta, I got to leave for a while. And then he just learned how to, you know, he needed to fix himself up. So he's like, do you know any bombs or creams? And then in there, he's talking to Darth Vader in the lunchroom. Darth Vader's like, well, if you see Dark Side of the Force, that actually works really well. It's like, really? Where do I have to go? Well, I have to train for it. It's like, oh, is there like a shop? It's like, possibly. That would be hilarious. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's who Emperor Snoke is. He's that one stormtrooper who smacked his head. Oh, that would be, That's why he has a massive crack. That'd be a beautiful way to ruin a franchise. <laughs> that would be the most... That would be the dumbest and, oh, uh, I don't know. Brilliant or dumb? I don't know. Both and all the same at the same time. Wow. Mm. Okay, or well... It could have been one of, the, uh, one of the stormtroopers that fought on Endor that an Ewok threw a rock on. <laughs> yeah, that's... that's all, it seems as though stormtroopers get hit on the head more, more mm. often than not, so... Wow. 
Okay, I think we cracked this, guys. We're, so after they get back to the base, they um, they um we meet up with Leia, and we meet up with uh, R2-D2 who's come back online. Yeah, and, and we were... There was a scene earlier where uh, BB-8 trying to, you know, talk to R2-D2 and C-3PO mentions that he's been in like a powered down mode ever since Luke disappeared. And he doesn't know Mm. if he'll be back to his original self. Of course, you know, we kind of assumed we'll see R2-D2 again in his original form. And at Mm. this moment, we see him uh, come back. Kind of interesting. I don't know. What, What do you think prompted that? I myself didn't really know or think about that too much. Uh, Another reviewer brought up an interesting point that possibly it was the presence of Ray. Oh, okay. And uh, if if Ray actually is related to Luke, that might have something to do with that. I don't know. Uh, All I can think of is once we saw him project his portion of the map and then BB-8 puts his little piece in, I was like, well, if they had that other portion that R2 had ahead of time, they would have known the exact area they needed to search <laughs> for Luke. <Luchin. laughs> so that could have helped. Yeah, but a chunk, uh, still a chunk of the galaxy that big, it, it'd be really hard. Yeah, you don't know how what scale you're looking at that. Mm. But yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's like, you can leave it to whatever interpretation. It could be because you know, R2 needed to wait for a certain time to do this, you know, to know that the um, uh, like the Starkiller base was destroyed and that a huge force had been removed, uh, and that was the only time to do it. Or he's connected to Luke Skywalker, and Luke Skywalker knows and you know activates him from a long distance away because you know Luke is a master and he can understand the whole universe mm. uh, now, and he's exiled for obvious reasons. But you know, it could be another thing. It could be like you know R two D two is actually a Jedi and he <laughs> powers himself <laughs> up. <laughs> Using the force, and he's like, now is the time. But also, yeah, I, I think around about the end part, he started having this whole um, li- literal uh, uh, display of the old universe and the new universe coming together mm-hmm. with the two maps and the pieces coming together with you know R2-D2 and BB-8 working together. You know, the old generation and the new generation connecting up together yeah. to bridge a story, uh, which we find because Ray, you know, changes her outfit. He put Finn into uh, a medical position, bud, whatever it mm-hmm. is, you know, which is a calling back to The Empire Strikes Back, where you have to have one of the main characters who are out of commission, and having the Millennium Falcon fly away to a new location, but instead we get a continuation of more of what's to come. And, and just before we move on, w- when you see the Starkiller base, it doesn't explode like we've seen the, the, the other two Death Stars, it actually kind of implodes on itself and becomes a almost like a self-sustaining star. It's kind of interesting that it had all of that, you know, I guess solar plasma in it and it just uh, kind of became this uh this new sun kind of an uh, interesting uh change from the uh, huge explosions that we've seen in the past i i noticed that too and thought that was a neat little change yeah because i was reading uh some theories uh there's there's this terrible theory that's out there that's quite plausible that when the second death star exploded there's no way endor would have escaped that explosion and it probably would have wiped out all of the uh the ewoks <laughs> mm. so uh it's nice that they uh they changed it to a sun like that but now we move on and it's kind of nice that uh it didn't just end there they gave us a little more so now they go off to this planet, and of course, it's filled with islands. And this is like Hamish was saying: these are the islands from her dreams. It's like she was destined for this moment. 
the uh, lightsaber called to her. Uh, this, this location was in her head and she landed there. She hiked up the, this beautiful scene. I was talking to Hamish earlier. It almost reminded me of like the, uh, somewhere in the British Isles, you know, it looked, uh, didn't look tropical and just the, the beautiful stonework, the natural stone yeah. and the stone steps. It's actually, um, I believe the island is called Skellig Michael and it's off the coast of Ireland. Oh, okay. Very nice. Beautiful there location. Mon- there is an old monastery built there on the top of it and those stone steps up the side of the cliff and stuff. Yeah, it was very nicely done. And, and this is where we get the scene where, you know, Ray approaches Luke Skywalker. His back is turned to her. He, he has the robe, you know, he turns around, removes the hood, and uh, she holds out the, the lightsaber and uh, the two share uh, uh, just a look as the music swells. And uh, they, they stand there silently. We get a nice look at the location again when the camera kind of pans around them standing on the top of this hill. And yeah, and then of course it ends. So what, what, was, what yeah. was the reaction in the theater for you guys at this moment when, when it ended on this cliffhanger of sorts? Well, again, uh, I didn't really notice an audible reaction other than applause once the screen went black and all the names started coming up. I was wondering if the movie was just going to end when Ray and uh, Chewbacca set off on their journey. Yeah. And I was like, well, no wonder we didn't see any more Luke in the trailer because we <laughs> saw all of Luke in the trailer Yeah, from that uh, Force vision. But um, I was happy they got to the location. They, they could have made it seem like it took them a little bit longer. It, they, they made it look like it was one quick hyperspace shot, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have been kind of neat, I think, if they had to make one jump and then put in new coordinates, make another jump, something like that. I also am not quite sure how I felt about the very last shot, the whole, like, panning out and spinning around them. It was very un-Star Wars-y. Yeah. Uh, I thought it could have just ended, zoomed in on Luke, maybe on his face or something, or her face. Other than that, I was happy to see him, and it nicely sets up the sequel. When Lucas made A New Hope, he didn't know that there were going to be other movies. So he kind of nicely wrapped it up, but at the same time left it open for more. But with Disney at the helm, they know there's sequels in production and they can leave it on a cliffhanger like that. Yeah, yeah, very very powerful scene. Yeah, that's the thing. I was in the same area um, thinking that you know, when they fly off, because the music was swelling up, you think, oh, it's just going to be that. And they're going to go off to something else. And the whole uh, Luke Skywalker thing was just a misdirect. You know, and they're filming stuff, like extra stuff, like maybe the next movie. You know, that's why Mark Hamill was in shape. Yeah. Uh, and they're going to film stuff, you know, extra stuff now for like the later movies. And you know, maybe he's a force ghost and they're doing all this other extra stuff. But um, yeah, like when they did that scene and it continued on, it's like, oh, hello. And it keeps going on and it keeps becoming something else. And then you see this whole extra setup with a uh, Ray climbing the mountain, going up to the top to find, yeah, it's, it's the thing that we expect is going to be up the top, the person that we want to be there. And the thing about it is that you see it and like in your head, you think this whole idea of, I don't know, I, I, I didn't know what to think of it, but you see him in the exact same robes as a Jedi master. You see, he looks, he's aged nicely. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, you know, he pulls back the hood and he's got that windswept look of his hair. But as he does at the same time, that one movement, you see the robotic hand, you know it's yep. him. And, you know, he doesn't say anything. But this is where, like, you know, you, you get the a, a really good 
a chance for Mark Hamill to show a little bit of more of what he can do rather than just being like, you know, oh, he's a stereotypical actor, he does this, or a voice actor, he does this. He's a, he's a really good actor, because at the end of the part, when you see Ray, and you know, Ray finally confronts Luke Skywalker, obviously he has no lines, but the music's swelling up, and she pulls out the lightsaber, and we're like, yes, this is the time. But then if you logically look back at it, he's like, he's seeing a lightsaber, which he used, and then lost, when he found out his father was the same guy he was being told to kill by, you know, Obi-Wan told him he had to kill him. Yeah. And he and he lost his hand, and it's a very dramatic moment of his life. That you know, he lost his hand. He found that his father was the enemy, and that you know, there it is, back in front of him. And this is the same lightsaber used to kill so many Jedi and so many younglings, and that here it is, back before him. And that the only person that could ever bring us back to him is his well, let's, let's assume daughter, someone who knows him, because it seems like everything in her mind has been planted, and he knows that. The only reason that she's here is for a specific reason that you either told, you know, uh, R2-D2 or that, you know, things had to collide in that way. Oh, obviously he knows that this is going to happen because as a Jedi, you can see through past, present, future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that he knew that this was going to happen. This is the day that, you know, things change for him. Uh, but the way he... I, I, I didn't mind the entire scene, but it's like you see the pained look on his face. He's not Han Solo where he's like smiling and going like, oh, look at this. I'm back into my you know, regular spaceship and you know familiar surroundings mm-hmm. mostly like here i am alone i'm here for a reason and you, the only reason you're here is because of what's happened before and that the lightsaber that you bring towards me is really important to him but also it's like would you want to see something which reminds you of so much death and loss in your life the thing that you got from somebody who taught you about you know a mystical force that you didn't believe in to begin with and then you had to train for and then yeah it, it's the look in his face where you see him you know, accepting that there's this woman before him and then seeing the object that she has, it's like, yeah, I can understand why you wouldn't want to grab that because <laughs> he knows the power of what that holds. Yeah. He knows why she has it. He knows why she's here. But also he knows that, you know, the that the there's no good from this. I don't believe he can understand, oh, this everything's going to be fine. We're going to fix everything. It's like he knows there's a huge task to undertake yes. and that, you know, whatever happens next is it's going to involve him and it's going to involve something maybe of a greater loss too. Because if he decides to train her, that means she has to, she might face death. She He might fail again. Because remember, he failed with Carlo Ren and that means he's worried that he's going to fail again. He's You know, it's like a master who's lost his ability to train. Like, you know, he's lost and he's supposed to carry this whole thing. He's supposed to carry an entire new generation of Jedi. And yet, how is he supposed to do that if he fails? If he keeps, you know, is he going to fail again? Is she going to become evil again? So that's the thing with him, you can see. There's a conflict with him mm-hmm. where it's less like, yeah, he, he trained, he's a Jedi Knight. He's a master Jedi. He's supposed to, he's supposed to have learned how to train. I'm guessing Kylo Ren killed all these other apprentices too. Yeah, that's what we can assume. And, and, and yeah. you know, you can tell he's so disheartened that he would destroy his own, well, I shouldn't say destroy because Kylo Ren did the destruction, but he would completely scrap mm. his plans for rebuilding the Jedi Order to, to bring essentially that balance back to the Force. And he would completely throw mm. that all the way and live this life of isolation. You can tell that really did affect him. And to have all of this now come back, it's, a, it's like a, a realization that he could never get rid of this. 
Mm. And maybe he's a man who's lost lost faith. He's lost faith in his own force. He's lost faith that you know the light side has any power, and that the dark side is the most powerful thing there ever is. And so, what's the point? Why train somebody if they're going to die? Why lose more people in your life? Why dedicate your time? And that's the thing, especially when you have you know your nephew who completely changed side, and you thought you know you could have changed him. You know, I'm sure he was there thinking like, oh, I changed Darth Vader. I can change him too. But then like you know, it didn't work. And that's the thing. It's like, what do you do? You're supposed to carry this burden of another culture within yourself. And if you fail of it, like if you're failing how, and there's no one else to talk to, what do you do? You can't do anything. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting for the next film. And, and like uh, Paul said, yeah, it, it, the ending felt very unlike a Star Wars film. But that's what we're doing. We're moving into a new direction and creating something new. Because... You know, you see that end shot what's panning around him and it pulls away. Because, yeah, that, that story's over now. This part of the story's over and as the audience, we can go away and we'll come back to him. We'll come back to him and see what happens, see where the story leads next. And so, yeah, it ends off different to how it was. But it kept it very familiar for the entire mm-hmm. film. But we know that the next chapter, because as soon as you, I left that movie, you, I was like, I want to know what happens next. I, I, I want to know what happens. Yeah. And it wasn't, and it's not as easy as it's like, oh, I'll just get the DVD and we'll watch the next part. Or no, it's it's you have to wait. Someone has to you know create this movie and try and make some more. To this. Yeah, a year and a half now. But mm. uh, it was funny at the, at this moment when when they went to the closing credits after seeing Luke, people in my theater were just like, ah, oh! <laughs> like they wanted so much more. And of course, <laughs> you weren't going to get it. We sat there for over two hours. It was going to end there. I was happy at least that it continued to that scene. They definitely left people wanting more. I think J.J. Abrams did an excellent job. He combined so many great elements of the original trilogy while introducing some great characters with some brilliant acting for this new trilogy and, you know, hopefully beyond. And it just we, it was the passing of the torch that Paul and I assumed it was going to be, as we talked about in previous episodes. Uh, and he... He played a lot of things safe. I know a lot of people have, you know, been giving him flack for some of that stuff, but he shouldn't, you know, go outlandish and follow his own vision. Everyone's kind of falling into the mold that George Lucas set with the original trilogy. He played it safe in that respect, and he set up a beautiful foundation for another great story. So I think think for what J.J. Abrams had to do, he pulled this off brilliantly and of course this surpassed in my mind any of the prequel movies for sure and i i wouldn't mind saying that this is on par with return of the jedi for me how about you paul where do you think this ranks for star wars movies for you um i definitely couldn't put it ahead of any of the originals i can put it ahead of all of the prequels yeah and i think that's fair (laughs) i discussed this at length with our friend steve and when it was over my wife turned to me and was like, so what did you think? You know, she knew how excited I was about this and how it was all I was talking about for the last year almost. And uh, as because I was so hyped and so amped up for it, I, I don't think anything could have really lived up to what I was expecting. Yeah. And I've been able to think about it a lot. And for me... No movie will ever feel like Star Wars 4, 5, and 6. They're not going to film a movie and make it look old like that. They're not going to make it, you know, look, I don't know, just grimy and not have the bright flashiness of movies of today. It's just not going to look like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Just because you have the same characters and the same weapons and the same ships and the same planets, it's, it's different. So Star Wars 4, 5, and 6 will always have a special place 
in my heart because I was young when I was introduced to them. It was real to me. You know, I started collecting the action figures and the cards and everything else. I was immersed in this galaxy or universe. It's different now as an adult. I I watch these movies and I'm critiquing everything and I'm saying, uh, I maybe would have done that differently or something. I liked the movie, but as a Star Wars movie, I feel differently about it. Like, I think it's a great movie on its own, mm-hmm. but I almost found myself comparing it to Abrams' other work of rebooting Star Trek. I'm not a Trekkie. I'm not invested with Spock and Kirk and all those characters. So when I watch that movie, I'm thoroughly entertained for what it is. But for Star Wars, something I have such a strong affinity for and I'm emotionally invested, it just has a different feeling. The cinematography of it didn't feel familiar. I felt like there was a lot of really close scenes we were really right in the face of these characters. And there wasn't a lot of that in the originals. Uh, The cameras were further away from the characters. We saw more of what was going on around them. And also the, the amount of humor they put in this movie. There were several, like more than 10, I believe, laugh out loud moments where the whole theater erupted in laughter. Yeah. And... That's not Star Wars. You know, you do have a couple lighthearted, goofy moments between R2 and 3PO or Han and Chewie or whatever, but you can count them on one hand probably for each movie. And so the amount of humor I thought they put into this was unlike other Star Wars movies. So, like I said, I I was happy with it. I look forward to seeing it again several times. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to watch my favorite parts over and over again. I loved Ray. I loved BB-8. Those two really stood out to me. Poe was great. I'd probably put Finn at the bottom of those four new characters. Really? Yeah, I like them all, but I don't know. I kind of agree with Steve again talking about Finn, where like he goes from this individual who was trained his whole life to be regimental and a, a fighter, a stormtrooper, and then... All of a sudden, when he gets away from that, he's got attitude, he's cracking jokes and whatever. Just, I had a hard time feeling that at times, but I can relate to the other characters a little bit more. But it did leave me wanting more. I can't wait for the story to be continued and fleshed out more, finding out more about Ben's fall to the dark side, uh, who Ray is, if she has parents we know, and... Uh, what's going to happen next. But like I did say earlier, as soon as Kylo Ren's lightsaber went through Han, I didn't care about him anymore. I feel like the trilogy is going to be like uh, bringing him back to the light side, and I'm like, ah, I don't care, kill him. (laughs) Oh, wow. So those are my brief thoughts on the movie. Wow, okay. So Hamish, how did you feel about this movie overall? For the hype behind it, uh... I think we all, as fans, got out of control. (laughs) 
we 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 saw bits of information and we're like, it's this thing. It's gonna be this thing. No, no, it's this thing. And you know, our, our imagination just ran wild with anticipation, especially for Luke. It's like Luke isn't in the trailer. Why isn't he in the trailer? Maybe he's evil. Maybe he's Kylo Ren. The thing is, yeah, part of it was I think expectation. We all have expectations. Huge, huge expectations, uh, especially for Luke Skywalker. Uh, I think the Luke Skywalker moment at the end of it was earned, and also for the fact that they didn't play it. Uh, cheaply, like they didn't do the whole like Luke Skywalker is a robot or Luke Skywalker's dead or something yeah, like yeah. that, and he's just in there as a ghost. No, it's like we all expected Luke to be more of this film, and that's the thing. We we had this expectation to it should be like this, when the fact is it's not. We're not in charge of the film. We want more Luke, sure, but it's not what we think it is. And so, and they didn't lie to us about that either. Luke wasn't in the trailer because he he isn't really in the movie that much. So they didn't lie to us. Uh, the trailers didn't, you know, uh, show off too much. They show us enough to get us interested, mm-hmm. and I enjoy that the fact that I could actually go in there and just watch it as a film um, itself. Uh, but as a whole, I I thought it is it, it to me I I it felt like because you can't recreate Star Wars. That's impossible. Uh, and we already had someone try to recreate Star Wars with the prequels and it didn't work. So this is. It's still Star Wars, but it's more to do with the fact that our time has changed, uh, what we want from film has changed, the way they do film has changed, and so it's a mixing between the old and the new. Kind of a blending of what we'll keep talking about for, I guess, years down the track, but it's a blending of the old and the new. It's not just going, here's a Star Wars in a new environment, it's like, here's your old Star Wars, but here's the new techniques, and here's how people enjoy films nowadays. Uh, especially with, you know, choices of camera angles, shots, uh, the work of J.J. Abrams, because even though, yeah, there's a lot of J.J.'s style in there, but it's allowed to, because he's in charge. You know, you, you can't just go, don't do that because, you know, it's it's different to how we want it to be. No, it should be different. It should keep us questioning. It should have something different that we didn't expect, but with a different director, you know? So if you did the same thing as George Lucas, then you're just doing... You're just doing an impression of George Lucas, right. which, which doesn't feel right because you don't understand his choices in the same way he did. But again, neither does he because those prequels didn't come out so, <laughs> so right. So it was a lot of old and a lot of new, a lot of understandable new stuff. But also, it follows a trend of films being remade and continued. Uh, which part of it? Yes, it's a marketing side of things, and you know you want you want to make bank. And Disney, thanks to Marvel and the Marvel films, are making a lot of money. Yeah. So I think now was the time. The time was ripe for them to bring it back. So part of it, yeah, you can say it's um, to keep up with the fact that this tradition of remaking and recontinuing films, especially you know Mad Max, that 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 came out of almost nowhere to be the, um, an amazing film. And it was its own thing, and I can watch it again and again, and it's fun. It's exciting. It's got visuals. It's got new visuals. If you could try and compare it to the old ones, you can't, because they didn't have that same stuff back right. then. You know, the f- the first uh, Mad Max was very tame and very, very safe. I mean, they were try- it was very guerrilla driven too, because they didn't have much money, and they had to had you know film it around Melbourne and do certain things. Uh, in a way, because they're forced to, because they didn't have money for anything else. So you look at the new Mad Max; it's completely different. It's got more flavor. It's explosive, but there's a story, and that's the thing that we want: is that stories are the key to every every film that we see. We don't want just explosions. We want reasons for this stuff to happen. And I think comparing this to again, I have to keep bringing up uh, Jurassic World. <laughs> Jurassic World felt like it was going you know by the numbers just going like oh we'll go to here then we go to here and then we go to here and then we go to here and then this happens well this sure was um i guess a safe 
recreation of certain elements of Star Wars, but that's what we wanted as fans. Uh, and we wanted it to feel familiar. We wanted to have those parts where we can, you know, gasp and go, oh, it's this thing, and oh, it's that thing. And that's the thing. As as huge fans, we got rewarded for yeah. that, you know. I mean, the biggest biggest reward that we got was Luke Skywalker, and they'll figure out how to use him, I guess, in the next films. But it's good that he's there, because now the whole story will change and shift, and, you know, instead of having a, a dead master, you have the master. But I'm sure the next story will be like a redemption story to figure out why has Luke done this, and how can he put himself back together after a, a huge, huge loss. Due to other things, like, uh, I think, I, I see this as it's a Star Wars film, but because you have to see them in threes now. Like the original trilogy, then you have the prequel trilogy, and you'll have this new yep. trilogy. Uh, and that's the thing. They're all part of different decades of time. You know, especially when the first Star Wars came out, it was it was pretty much like a children's film. Even um, Alec Guinness said, like, oh, it's a children's space film. You know, he, he didn't hate it. He just, you know, he just felt that's what it was. It was just like a, you know, children's film. Uh, he enjoyed the work from what I've read, and he enjoyed doing it. But again, it's just for him as a, a classically trained actor, doing something like this, yeah, he, he wasn't really prepared. So when you have those kind of look backs that, you know, you have the original trilogy, yes, you can't change it. You can't replicate that. Uh, you can honor it. You can take elements from it. And I think if you look at all the toys, there are so many toys with every single character named. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You yeah. know, bartenders, robots, everything. And But that's because it's the longevity of that film. Uh, it's kept itself alive and because of the fan base. And then you had the prequels, which... Again, we all went to high expectation. We got something else. It wasn't... I wouldn't say it's wrong, but it wasn't what people liked about the films originally. But again, you have to see it as separate sets now. That's how I do it. Like, the original trilogy was one flavor. Uh, the prequel trilogy is another flavor. And this is a new flavor, too. Uh, I still say it's all still Star Wars. It's still Star Wars. It still has that flavor. But you can't expect people to re- replicate something we liked years right. ago. Because we all have different memories of it. We all have different things that we enjoyed about it uh it's like batman there's many different versions of batman you know but you know it's the adam west batman's still acceptable it's corny it's stupid sometimes <laughs> but that was that was that that was batman and the thing is you know you were allowed to have it we're allowed to have that version of batman uh and there's a new version of batman coming along too so no matter what we think we can still love the work and this um star wars film uh i think only time will tell from what happens next because we've only recently seen it uh what happens next where its story goes i i'm excited for it and that's the thing it's like i was engaged in the story uh, i didn't think like uh, the choices that were made in the film uh i didn't think were illogical the new characters yeah were you can see were they're all how do say they're all um, broken up versions of the characters that we liked in certain ways like you know you had luke skywalker who was a jedi but he was also a really good pilot too uh, but instead, you have like Poe po Dameron, who's like a Han Solo, cocky kind of guy, but he's a really good pilot. And you have Rey, who's you know he, she's a good pilot, but and she's hasn't got a family, but she's learning the ways of the Force. And then you have Finn, who I think he's the guy in between all of this kind of stuff, where he's a guy who hates, who realizes that you know his life is is awful. Mm-hmm. You know, he's escaping this regime and trying to find a new life. And he's our access point to the new generation of Star Wars, where he's a guy who, you know, he could wield a lightsaber. Sure. I mean, you don't need to be a Jedi. He's a guy who fights for the right of people. He's a guy who knows what good and bad is. And that's it. He's our anchor point for, like, between those two kind of worlds. Because, again, he's not part of the uh, Resistance. He's not really part of the First Order either. 
you know, he escaped from the First Order. He saw what the evil was, and he saw what the Resistance are like. And so he's he's that middle point. And plus, you know, he's that guy who's like, I don't understand what this robot's saying. I don't understand what Chewbacca's saying. And so, you know, for the next film, I'm sure, you know, because he escaped from all the stuff, he probably has some inbred training for, you know, learning how to use a gun and things like yeah. that. So I'm excited for his character to be, you know, learning and adapting to this new universe that he isn't exactly familiar with. But with Rey, Rey, you can see her path is for the Jedi. You can see that Poe Dameron, he'll return. He's a cocky guy. Mm-hmm. He's a great guy. You know, he'll be a fan favorite, obviously. But yeah, the BB-8 thing is interesting because, like, you know, you didn't have uh, <laughs> the C-3PO, you know, pontificating, complaining about things, going, oh, I don't like this. You know, which, if you look at the original trilogy, he's kind of annoying and a bit of a drag. <laughs> yep. So they, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of ideas that they've taken from the original stuff to make it very familiar, but also they've streamlined a lot of things and also given more uh, gravitas to the main villain. Uh, to be less of just a villain and revealed at you know, midway through the trilogy to be like, oh, I'm your father. No, they've changed it up. So it's like, you know who he is. Yep. And yeah, I can agree with Paul that you know there could be this whole battle between him turning to the light side or turning to the dark side. And there'll be that whole situation there. But you know, uh, he's, he's alive. You still have a Jedi Master alive. You still have these characters who we've all actually gotten interested in. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. Just as long as the story is good, and now that we have this new, I guess you call it structure of how they're going to do the films, because you get this Star Wars film. Nico, was it Rogue One? Rogue One is next. Yeah, that's going to be next year around this time. Yeah, and then there's going to be another Star Wars film. Then there's going to be a spinoff. Was it for Han Solo? That's what they're talking. Yeah. Yeah, Han Solo solo film. That's odd to say. <laughs> Han Solo film, and then there's going to be another film. And that's the thing. It's like now is the time to be a f- huge Star Wars fan, and then it's great that. You know, Disney have all this money, and even though we can look at the evil side and say they're just taking all our money, uh, I think it's really good that you know they're finally giving you what you want. Because especially Rogue One is a, a prequel story, but not in a bad way, uh, where you have a bunch of people who are just you know rebel pilots, and you get to see like you'll get to see um all the old re equipment redone again, mm-hmm. you know, old stormtrooper outfits and stuff like that. So I think seeing as you have the money and the technology, you're we're now getting a feast of you know, Star Wars, you know, unlike anything else. Even though we got to remember there were, was the cartoons uh, and the animated series that was around, that kept it alive, along with the expanded universe, which I know they're ignoring now. But you know, there's a lot of other people who put a lot of effort into keeping this stuff alive, you know, from the cartoons to the books to the audios uh, books and stuff like that. You know, it, they, there's a lot of things that kept it alive. Yeah. So, you know, we wouldn't have it now. Like, we wouldn't have what it is now if it wasn't for, like, all those things, especially the video games and everything else in between. So, you know, that's the thing. It's like, it wasn't just one person kind of picking up the ashes of what uh, this thing was. It was actually something which has always been around in our mind, and it's now been brought back into light and given a new, fresh take. You know, it's been reawakened. <clears throat> yes, very nicely done. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your thoughts, suggestions, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, do you guys have anything you want to plug? Sure, I'll plug my Twitter. It's uh, at Zajewski. That's Z-A-J-C-Z-E-W-F-K-I. Hamish? Uh, You can find me on Twitter, on Silent Hamish. On uh, Vine, Silent Hamish, on Instagram, Silent Hamish. Uh, I'm also on uh, Tumblr, uh, Silent Hamish Art, and Facebook as Silent Hamish Art. Uh, and that's where you can find me, all over the place. And you can find my weird stuff, and I think the last three Vines I did were 
couple of jokes. Actually, if you go on Instagram, you can find the longer version uh, of three jokes about Star Wars. Long, you'll find the longer ones on Instagram at Silent Hamish, or you can go on Vine and find the edited ones at Silent Hamish. Very good. Yeah, follow follow this guy on Vine, everybody. <laughs> I am on Twitter. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I am also on Vine. There, my name is also MC and Friends, and there I do flip page cartoons and little humorous animations. Uh, big thank you to Vine for including my Star Wars uh, stop motion drawing as a uh, part of their Star Wars art page this uh, past week. So uh, big thank you to them. That was pretty cool. But uh, yeah, check my stuff out there and uh, and check out Hamish. Hamish does some awesome cartoons and uh, and uh, they're they're very funny. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five star review. It helps us out. And if you do, you will get a shout out on the show. And we try to be creative with those. For Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher, and we can now be found on TuneIn Radio and coming soon to Google Play. Well, guys, thank you so much for uh, taking all this time to do this and uh, uh, really look forward to uh, talking more Star Wars with you guys uh, at some point in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, anytime, man. Well, we have been Hamish, Paul, and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. May the Force be with you. Word, dog. Sir, two of our stormtroopers almost captured the girl. But... But they were crushed by the body of a smuggler that just fell out of nowhere, and she escaped again. Oh, man!